Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the DestoProds.com movies and television podcast. As always, I'm your host, the Dead Man. Joining me today, we have Cora. The did we lose Cora? So, something weird happened there, and I was getting nothing but silence for a little while. Yeah, same here. I, there was I was just I was silent, a, waiting for Cora to say something. It was spectacularly timed, where I got "Hello, every," and then dead silence. <laughs> I was very impressed. So sorry about that. That's the, seven seconds of nothing. That was the first time that's happened, and we've been speaking for a while. Yeah, so we got Cora, we got Caveman. Aloha. (laughs) Right when we started this call, there was like a four-second delay. I was just waiting. I was just waiting, like, oh, God, what's what's the time going to be on this? (laughs) Like, how did it get this much worse? (laughs) Yeah, that was weird. Oh <laughs> <sighs> anyway, yeah, we're here to talk about stuff. Yep. Caveman. You're yep. the most likely to pass out in the middle of this due to just feeling like shit. No. I'm a tank, but I'll go. <laughs> um okay, we're gonna start off with something that everyone's gonna judge me for. Ninjago. Masters of Spinjitzu. Is that that Lego movie? It's a TV show. Okay. Lego TV show. And it's fucking awesome. It made me cry. It ain't no Bionicle, man. I openly wept. They got their fucking masks and the spin disc shit. A little, a show about little plastic men dressed as colorful ninja made me cry. Dude, you've seen the Lego movie. Never discount a yeah, Lego I don't property. Think this is made by the same people. I don't think this is made by the same people. It's saying never discount it's a Lego the property. Same of heart. That shit is surprisingly deep. It is very, very, very good. I'm not going to say it's well written because it's not. <laughs> it relies on a lot of cliches. A lot of the dialogue is really hokey and out of place, and it is very overtly done for kids. But. That does not mean it is bad. It is, I think, good because of, first off, its length. It's five seasons. And they change villains, costumes, pretty much everything from season to season to season. It's got a lot of heart because they've got these, they've got a cast of characters and you get to see so much about them. Yeah. I've watched all five seasons and then I started it over because I wanted to start catching the things that were happening in later seasons and see if they had set them up in the earlier seasons. I fucking love this show. It's (laughs) so good. And no one can talk to me about it because no one else is willing to watch it. it I'm trying to think it's less the property and more the fact that it, I do have that standard. I'm biased against Western animation, even though it keeps proving me wrong for being biased against it. 
I'm not sure that this is one that would prove you wrong. Okay. It's it's not it's not the smartest show. It's it's designed for children. It does that very well, but I happen to enjoy it thoroughly as an adult. Fair enough. Uh I I looked this up. Apparently one of the main characters is voiced by somebody named Jillian Michaels, but not the <laughs> Jillian Michaels from The Biggest Loser. <laughs> Just an entirely separate voice actor. Voice actress, sorry, who has been in the dubs for Inuyasha and Hamtaro. Oh yeah, I know her. And was also the singing voice of Lacus Klein. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's funnier that she it. I, I, I'm trying to figure out if it would have been funnier if she was that Jillian Michaels or that she isn't. <laughs> and I, I can't actually tell. Yes, it turns out it turns I out like it, when not I think shooting it's season. Funny I know a voice actress that you guys don't. Of course, I watched in Yasha and Hamtaro. So so did I. But I did what I wasn't. But I didn't in, know about voice actors back then. Who did she voice in in Yasha? Uh, Shippo. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I could recognize that. I don't, don't know, didn't know her name, but I could recognize that voice. I don't even remember who Shippo is. Stupid fox boy thing. Oh. Yeah. It's weird. I've seen, I've seen Inuyasha, like, Cumulatively, about five times. Jesus. And I don't remember any of it. I'll admit, as far as overarching plot goes, I don't... Well, there's there's one plot. Like, it, it is the same thing for so much time. You mean the will they won't say plot? Because that's the only thing that actually ended up mattering in that show. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I, I, remember, I, I, I remember like at the I remember. So I feel like I've talked about this before, but in Inuyasha on on YTV where it aired in Canada. Uh, what they would do is they would play the play the show in 10 episode chunks and then reset it. So we got episode one through 10. Then go back to episode one, then go episode one through 20, then go back to episode one. Yeah, they did something similar on Cartoon Network in America. Yeah, and they did that for the entire run of the series. So they restarted yeah, before, it like fucking 10 or six, like 15 fucking times. Yeah, before we remember that this isn't the anime podcast, I will add that... When I did my top 10 villains list on YouTube, I sometimes would get questions like, oh, why didn't you put Orochimaru on this list? Or why didn't you put Naraku? And my answer for both was the same. Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> like, I fucking hated Naraku as a villain because it, the stakes never changed. Oh, Naraku's the big threat, but he never really actually does anything none of our main characters are gonna die it's just he's a demonic threat that just sort of floating around the original series ends with them not defeating him yeah i know just it ends with like this big triumphant fucking sweep and like updated animation of just 
Well, this arc ended. Bye. What was the What was the name of the sequel series? The Final Act. Garbage. Okay. The original series was over 160 episodes. The final act was 26. Proof that they were fucking treading water. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. Ninjago. Yes, Ninjago. So, our main cast. Now, I'm going to give you some spoilers for the stuff that came before, because they don't. Uh, our main cast consists of five characters. Kai, Jay, Cole, and Zane. They represent four elemental, I use air quotes there, ninja. Uh, you've got earth, fire, uh, lightning, and ice. Yeah, and the best part ju- about that... <laughs> I wanted to jump in is, with candy and slime, but I didn't get a chance. <laughs> the best part about that is, I expected them to just be like, oh, they just chose those because they couldn't choose the regular element because you can't make a weapon out of water and wind. Bitch! And then they weaponized water and wind later in the series. And it comes out, oh, you guys thought you were the special? You're not the special. You're just special. Because I chose you. If I hadn't chosen you, you'd just be like all these other elemental masters. Yeah. And yeah. What do you want to be? Some fucker control one of the four basic elements of the world? Oh, that's too fucking pedestrian for you, dickholes. But um, it's like, oh look, I made a fucking sword out of water that I can fucking cut through rocks with, and whatever. One sword made of lightning. And like, they they change armor, weapons, everything from season to season to season. But the big thing, the big weapon that the whatever came before it wants to push are the golden weapons that were made by some douchebag in past. And the, ba- the big bad wants to get his hands on the golden weapons. And they manage to drive him back into the underworld. And that's when our series starts. With them being lazy assholes. Because they won. <laughs> so hmm. if you can get past like the first couple of episodes. Where they're kind of like being douchey. But justifiably douchey. Because they did defeat the biggest evil in the world. Then you can get to see all of that character growth I'm talking about. Because it's not, it's subtle and it takes a long time. But every single character in this show shows some kind of growth. To give you an example, our female lead, Nia. Yes, I know all of the characters' names for once. (laughs) Shocking. (laughs) Our female lead, yeah, I know, it's me. I refer to them as that guy with the hair. Come on. Um, you know that one guy with that face. Oh, my my favorite thing though, the guy who uses ice speaks robotically and has vanilla ice's hair. I can't help but think that was on purpose. Of course it was fucking on purpose. <laughs> um anyway, but our main character Nia, you uh, don't accidentally Nia, get that fucking level of quaff. Come she starts off just the sister. She's just the sister. At least in the stuff that came before. She's just the sister. She literally starts the series by being kidnapped. And by the end of it, she is possibly one of the most self-confident, self-assured, strongest characters ever. 
She stands right alongside our main ninja and kicks just as much ass. And it's not like you have to wait all five seasons to see this. In season one, she builds herself a super suit. You know, ninjas. <laughs> well, she's a samurai. You know, but. samurai. Can we, can't wait for her to get that samurai electric guitar. <laughs> oh, no, no, I've been the, racking the my brain trying to make a reference that. to the sister from Digimon, which, who was my favorite? Kari, Kari. Yeah, Kari. That was as I was point making a statement about how I could not think of her goddamn name. I thought of her goddamn name. Does her super suit look like a look like a giant angel lady? No. <laughs> if only. Does the super suit have the electric guitar? No, it does not have an electric guitar. I get what you're referencing, man. I really do. Cora, this, no. this is a Power Rangers joke. Okay. Um, but uh, you've also got Sensei, who you know you remember in uh in that same Power Rangers how the Sensei was a hamster and dispensed the most useless, wise sage advice possible. Caveman, please, he was a guinea pig. Sorry, I got it wrong. My mistake. This Sensei actually dispenses useful advice, though. But yeah, fucking Sensei in. Ninja Storm is about as helpful as Mentor G. Ugh. Or Gosei. Fuck it. No, he's more helpful than Gosei. <laughs> Literally someone walking up to you, unzipping their fly, whipping it out, and pissing on your face is more helpful than Gosei. Hey, Gosei gave him weapons. <laughs> hey, you need hydration? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Your skin's looking a little dry. It's important to keep. It's important to keep. You know, whenever you're thirsty, take a drink. <laughs> Fucking goze. <laughs> um. Well, that's what you get for installing them in a cave wall. Cave wall doesn't exactly have the best firmware updates or ability to keep your soft or ability to keep your fucking hardware clean. But yeah, that's that's Ninjago. As you can probably <laughs> guess, that's what I've been watching mostly because it's fucking great. And I really hope that you do that. You guys would be willing to give it the four episode test. Yeah, fuck it, I'll try four it. Episode test. That is sitting down and watching four episodes of a series. You gotta. Yeah, we like, know. I, in my opinion, you. I'm telling it to the audience, not you guys. In my opinion, a lot of shows screw themselves over. By fucking up their first few episodes. But usually by four episodes, a show has hit its stride. Some shows you gotta give it even longer than that. I'll admit. There are a few shows that I've watched that I thought were absolute crap. And then Cora or Birdie said, give it another episode. And then I was like, oh my god, this is awesome. So. Like, you gotta give, uh, you gotta give it time with a lot of shows. Uh. So next, uh, Jessica Jones. I did not watch it's this It's a good before? show I don't want to watch. No, you did not. It's a good show I don't want to watch. <laughs> I, that, that, like, I'm, I'm, I'm putting it as plainly as I can. It's a, it's a wonderfully written show, wonderfully acted, great cast of characters, a whole menagerie of people that 
are really interesting that I don't want to see. And why is that? Because it's a mean show. <laughs> <laughs> it's just mean. <laughs> it's like it's it's like it's trying to hurt my feelings. It kind of <laughs> is. I mean, it's a show about a fucking kind of bitchy private detective who was raped for six months. Yeah, which is why I don't really want to watch it. Like. I have to look forward to the Media Horse review, review coming out, people. I will speak positively about this show because it is very well written. But I don't want to. <laughs> but I don't want to. <laughs> oh, I, really, I really am curious what they're going to do for season two because Jessica Jones offers a strong basis to work off of, but the character isn't well-established enough to have an actual rogues gallery. So yeah. I, I don't know where they're going to go with the show. I might've mentioned in a recording before, but I don't know that I would really love to see the purple uh, woman or purple girl or persuasion, whatever you want to call her. The purple children. Cause I think that would be, well, I don't need multiple ones. I just want that one character. I think because I think that would be a very interesting dynamic. She's off in Canada somewhere. To give somewhere. you guys an idea of where I am, I'm at episode ten, I believe, right after you know who betrays you know who to let you know who escape from you know where. Dude, it's been a while okay. since I watched it, and the show is far enough out that spoilers don't fucking matter right now. Okay, when Hogarth helped Kilgrave it. escape, and I wanted okay. to stab her in the face for. <laughs> I was actually thinking of the wrong section of the show. <laughs> Fuck Hogarth. You guys, you guys tell me, oh no, she's better in other shows. Well, she, well, I'm she, saying she, she has made a one arc. mistake. She has a she character made arc. A massive fucking mistake. She has yeah, a she character did. arc. I, I actually do feel bad for her at the end of the show. Yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah you're well, kind of a bitch. Work. Like, yeah, you're kind of a bitch and a bit of a sociopath, but. Yeah, you that was kind of horrible. It, and you do, yeah, you realize it, and you are not happy. You are miserable, and you know it's your fault that you're miserable. And in some ways, that makes it worse for you. Yeah. Oh yeah, I. <laughs> but I, I like the fact that the character is clearly growing from that. <laughs> it's like, yeah, no, we're uh, we're gonna start trying to defend these people that a lot of people are afraid of. <laughs> But yeah, but yeah, the show it it's like it's one of those shows that's actively trying to hurt my feelings. <laughs> like it just no, it no, <laughs> it's mean. It's, it's like it's like. Have you guys ever heard of Broad Church? Yeah. Yes. I started watching that. I stopped watching that. <laughs> And I stopped watching it because when I watch a murder mystery, I like for the bad guy to get caught. I like serialized murder mysteries because I don't want to be sitting up at night wondering if this mysterious individual diddled this child to death and they're attacking another child. I want to go to bed knowing the bad guy got caught. That's why I hate two partners in Criminal Minds. Because the bad guy is always free for the next episode. I stopped watching Broadchurch because it just kind of got boring. 
But what I, what okay. I was getting at it is that show was also well written, well acted, and it was mean, so I stopped. <laughs> like, I can give glowing praise to shows I hate, folks. So here's a question. As far as Marvel villains are concerned, how do you feel that the Purple Man stacks up? He's actually pretty weak in comparison. At least this Purple Man. No, you don't think he's a good villain? No, I think he's weak. I didn't say he was a bad villain. He's a good villain. Like He, he provides an excellent foil for our main character. Yeah, I'm saying, like, I'm not asking could he kick everybody's ass. I'm saying Well, that's what everyone always wants to know, and no, he could not. How does he stack up against most of the villains? He's got better motivations than most of the villains. He's better developed than most of the villains in the Marvel U. In that he actually has motivations and development. (laughs) Exactly. And compared to his comics counterpart, his abilities are pretty consistent. Uh, There's not really much variation. Now his powers increase during the show, but the actual nature of his abilities don't really vary much. Uh, Yeah. Purple man's never been an A-list villain. It's more the nature of his abilities and how fucking terrifying those are on just a basic level when you consider them. Yeah. One Thinking back on it now, there was a bit of a missed opportunity it, in the diner when Jessica first starts sending him photos. Yeah, so like I'm not I'm not sure if you got there, caveman or like diner. He was, no, no, sorry, not diner restaurant. I'm, I'm thinking the comics that with right that, after like, she rescues oh. uh, druggy. Yeah, like like he like he says. Like he says, hey, you are going to send me photo. You're going to send me a photo of yourself smiling every day at 10 a.m. Or I'm going to come back and kill your buddy. Yeah. And so, and so he gets a photo and he's like in the restaurant and he just screams quiet. He's just he's looking at the photo. In the comics, there was yeah. a there was a scene that like it wasn't a, it wasn't a, an actual like scene. It was a reference like they referenced something that is similar to that where he was in a diner. Sitting down and it was too loud. So he told everybody to stop breathing. Yeah, I remember that. I remember seeing something about that. Yeah, that that's kind of how Jessica gets involved in the case in the Alias comics. And it's a bit of a shame they never did that in the show. No, I will acknowledge that's one of those things where, strictly speaking, even with the comic book logic, there's a problem there. Namely, once everybody fell unconscious, they'd stop obeying him. Yeah. Fair. So it's one of those things where it's like, it makes sense that they'd fall unconscious, but once they're unconscious, they'd start breathing again because, yeah, it's one of those things that does bug me slightly about the logic there. But I do understand your point. It would have been something cool to see just everybody in a diner just slowly dying of asphyxiation as this guy just sits there sipping coffee. Yeah. I get what you mean. It's just the logic there yeah. always bugged me. Yeah, I get it. I get you. And even more so, it would in the in the show. Yeah, definitely. Because when we hear about it, we don't focus so much, but having it in front of us would have raised those questions. 
it could have been something like after he got amped a bit because there was that guy who stood there for fucking four days. Yeah, but he presumably passed out that, at some point. Yeah, but in that previous scene, it wouldn't have made sense. No. Yeah, Jessica Jones is really good. Yeah. And if you're willing to put up with a mean, mean show, it's for you. Most people are. Yeah, I'm not. I don't like my shows to be mean to me. I like things to be nice. The more we talk, the more I see that you and I watch things different. Mm-hmm. So anything else you've watched at Caveman? Um, I went to see a couple movies. Um, there was just this one small indie film. You guys all know the joke, Lego Batman. Yeah. It's weird for a stop motion movie to get to that wide a release. That isn't from like Leica. So jokes aside, how'd you <laughs> like it? Just gonna let that hang. Yeah. I, fu- I fucking loved it. <laughs> now, I have to state right now, the movie has a few sexist overtones, and I did no- take note of them, which means it's obvious enough for me to take note of. However, that does not mean that I, it is not still enjoyable because all of the sexist overtones are Batman crushing on uh, Barbara Gordon. Ew. Yeah. Why is that always a thing? They handle it better. Yeah, they handle it much better. But it's still a thing. It shouldn't yeah, be a Batman's, thing. This Batman's more juvenile. So yeah, it's not he's more juvenile and she's more mature. So comparing them to their comic counterparts doesn't necessarily work in this instance because they are developed differently enough that this as a gag is acceptable. And I didn't actually find it sexist. I was actually busy trying to figure out how the movie was sexist when he he said that. (laughs) Because I was like, "Eh, I don't see it. Because it, it objectifies Barbara. It reduces her, at, at least in Batman's eyes, to entirely the role of love interest. Yeah, but he's the moron there. She is clearly yes, so much but more that than doesn't that. Mean that. That doesn't mean it's not sexist just because she's not actually like that. It Our means main character, he's sexist. It doesn't make the movie sexist. I feel that's the that. distinction. I'll give you that. But other than that, Oh my god, this movie had me dancing in my seat whenever they had a reference. <laughs> yeah, and they've got a lot of them. It's like, and my favorite thing is they pulled practically every lame villain from Batman's past. Even yeah, Kite I Man? had heard about that. What? No, but Condiment King. <laughs> yeah, Condiment King shows up. What about the guy with no arms who uses his toes to throw hammers? I don't think they got him. <clears throat> Two stars. Every lazy villain. Oh, lazy villain. Okay, that guy. The amount of drugs it takes to come up with that character, you can't be lazy and do them. And I'll be perfectly honest. I. This might be my best best on screen. 2017. 
might be my best on-screen portrayal of Bane. Like, I think that might be my favorite. Does he talk like a luchador? <laughs> he talks like a blend of the Hispanic version and the uh, Dark Knight Rises version. He has... I believe a Hispanic elements to his accent, but he does have the same uh, cadence to his speech that Tom Hardy's Bane had. And oh, that's weird. I'm, in my head, I'm just doing no, that. I actually, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to add that, and it just... I know, right? Oh, it's there's so just, weird. There's well, this weird the tingling thing. sensation. I'll give, I'll give this to Tom Hardy's Bane. I think that... As an actor, he tried a lot of interesting and honestly pretty damn awesome ideas. Keep in mind, he went through that entire movie in high heels because that is a short fucking man. Uh, I, he is five foot three. I mean, five foot nine, not three. Five foot nine. So for him to be like towering and imposing, he was wearing like three inch heels. Throughout that entire goddamn movie, I'm now just imagining that just, just below frame, he just has these fucking hot pink pumps on. And I, I forgot my he, I forgot my platform, so I had to borrow my wife's hooker boots. He's, you know, the he's, he's like he's like standing he on that fucking with. he's like standing on that fucking like graded platform about to break Batman's back in like fucking stilettos, and just they have to keep reshooting the scene because the heel keeps getting caught in the fucking grade and breaking off. <laughs> But the voice that he came up with was based off of a uh, Romanian bare-knuckle boxer, I believe. And because he wanted to have a common thread, like ethnic thread. He knew he couldn't go the Hispanic route without it being... Racist? A, yeah, or simply noticeably out of place. So he was trying to have a common thread while still building on the character and i actually think that's a very interesting idea now whether or not you feel it worked okay fair enough but and to be honest my biggest problems with his speech in that movie are not is not the voice itself just the fact that when he has more than like two or three lines in a row you lose track of what he's saying if you give me a single line i can understand it but no, in uh, in Lego Batman, like his lines were some of my favorites. It's just like after Batman, just like I, I don't even remember exactly what Batman did, but he like attacks the villains, and it's like that was just unnecessary. <laughs> <laughs> isn't that when he? Isn't that when Superman? When uh, when Joker is uh, uh, spoilers for the next five seconds surrendered. That he goes and says, I'm going to fight Bane then. And Joker's like, nope. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think so. But no, Bane... I really enjoyed Bane in that movie. I will say, the movie did have some choices that... Some of them really work well. Like, having... Ray Fiennes in the movie, but not using him to voice Voldemort. Instead having... Uh, Fuck. Wait, Voldemort's in this movie? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, he's in the Phantom Zone. Uh, what the shit? <laughs> oh, god damn it. Who is it that voices I'm him? wondering to see how that uh, block character is going to play into the Lego uh, movie universe as a whole. Um, who played Dr. Abel uh, Gideon in Hannibal? Uh, fuck. Uh, oh, Eddie, Eddie Izzard. Izzard. Yeah, Eddie Izzard voices Voldemort. 
So it's like, okay, that's a oddly brilliant choice. You had the actual Voldemort on hand, but you decide, hey, no, we're fucking using Eddie Izzard for that. The fact that... Just pull it back a bit. The fact that Caveman just said the broader Lego cinematic universe. <laughs> the fact that he you said that thing. and meant it. Yeah, no, the, 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 that's the thing. The fact that that means something. It makes me happy because I get to remember that the DC characters are in a broader universe that doesn't suck. <laughs> Oh, this is weird. I'm looking at the fucking casting list of this. Yeah, but uh, one of my complaints is they've got Billy D. Williams to voice Two-Face. Perfect casting choice. Makes tons of sense when you think about it. Like, finally. But he has, like, one or two lines. Fucking Doug Benson is Bane. Yeah. And Kate McCucci is fucking Clayface. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. This is awful in this. Oh, my God. This shit is so weird. The guy that got playing, mm-hmm. the guy that got playing but, fucking Mr. Freeze isn't even fucking listening to Wikipedia. Yeah. I don't well, think he, he doesn't have too many lines. He does. I don't think he has any. Mm. I don't remember Freeze talking at all. And but, fucking but yeah, the, the, the contents of the Phantom Zone. Yeah. The contents of the they Phantom used Zone. The bad shark repellent. They yeah, used they it. Yeah. Because there's, there's, awesome. wait, 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 there's wait. a shark in the Phantom Zone. Okay. They I was, used it on Jaws. Yeah. Okay. I was just like, wait, the shark repellent on Orca? That doesn't make sense. They no, used no. the shark, bad shark repellent on. I'm pretty sure that's Jaws in the Phantom Zone. Yeah, it's Jaws in the same way that the British robots are quite clearly Daleks. Ask your friends. <laughs> oh, also, apparently. They they felt the need to... For speed? Uh, no, they felt the need to credit Siri as the voice of the back computer. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's awful. I love it. And no, 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 it's not bat computer. It's, it's bat computer. computer. I... And moving on. Oh, before I move on, Deadman, I just have one more thing to say before we move on to my next topic. Yes. Broader Lego cinematic universe. The anyway. That, that uh, is a thing. Um, the last thing that we watched, we watched Shit because we hate ourselves. BVS. What is wrong with you? BVS. What is... Batman versus Superman. Wrong with you. <sighs> we did it for a laugh and for Media Horse. Another okay, review. Man, man is apparently in the getting in the habit of listing what we uh, are reviewing, but yeah, hey, free advertisement. I always avoid listing uh, the stuff I watch for reviews. I thought you were actually. I was. I thought you were going with something else that we watched, but. Uh, I if we watch something, it wasn't else, bad. I, I thought you were watching, listing the other Batman thing we watched. What other Batman thing did we watch? And I'll talk about it when it's my turn then. Okay, but yeah, Batman versus Superman. 
<sighs> as bad on rewatch as it was on the first watch. That's all I have to say about it. Oh, Jesus but I will Christ. say this. No, I will say this. Dead Man, I really do recommend you check out the theatrical cut at some point. Now, I Never. recommend you check it out with some other people because it is fucking hilarious. But no, I pointed out multiple times watching the extended cut that it is far less fun than the theatrical counterpart. It goes much slower. That it that 30 minutes that they add on feels like a fucking hour. It doesn't jump from joke to joke, i.e. plot point to plot point as quickly. Uh, and it is just... the It feels dour. Like, Batman v Superman is dour, regardless of the version you're looking at. But the theatrical cut is hilariously dour. The extended cut is just arduous. So is Jesse Eisenberg once- in the is Jesse Eisenberg in the theatrical cut? Oh yeah. Then no. Fuck you. <laughs> Fuck yeah. that whole thing. Normally I wouldn't bring up stuff we're watching for reviews, but I actually wanted to talk about both things. Uh, that were that we watched for the reviews. BVS. This. No matter the cut, is an abortion. And like, and like, and I'm not talking about like a fucking Planned Parenthood abortion. I'm talking about a fucking like greasy back alley abortion with a fucking rusted coat hanger. The shit done by fucking Stinky Pete behind the dumpster of the movie theater. Fuck that movie. <laughs> See, I walked out of the theater saying, fuck that movie, but I had a good time, at least. Unlike Man of Steel, where I had gone in blind and just was kind of miserable through most of it. And thinking about and reflecting on it only made it worse. Man of Steel is like white noise to me now. Yeah, no, I've completely, like, it occurred to me recently because we went back, uh, we were with a friend and, uh... Birdie and I, we watched the Man of, Meaty Horse Man of Steel review with her. And first of all, it's impressive to me how much I can forget what I've said. <laughs> like watching that again, I was like, wow, I forgot these jokes. So much so. But the thing is, I really have not thought about that movie since that review. Only in the context of how it relates to BVS have I thought about it. And I get the feeling that once I review BVS, it'll hold a similar place. I will occasionally think of... The only reason I'll occasionally think about it is, A, yeah, it was hilariously stupid compared to its predecessor. Martha is not going to die off anytime soon. Why'd you say that name? God, I'm just rem- I'm remembering back to the Under the Red uh, Hood Let's Watch that we did. It's like, you haven't lost your step, Bruce. Why did you say that name? <laughs> <laughs> Those references are not going to die off anytime soon. I'm waiting so. for the, the Lego Batman 2 movie or in the next Lego movie for Batman to reference BBS as a joke. Well, they kind of did at a few points, and they didn't reference Martha, but the little de- all, all the little details. Black. All important movies begin with a black screen. 
<laughs> yeah, that, that's kind of like that. that, that's kind of been like the biggest like praise given to the Lego like Will Arnett's interpretation of Batman is just how much it shits on the current iteration of Batman. Yeah. Just ever since fucking Christopher Nolan came along, Will Arnett's just sitting there like, dude, I could fucking shit on this so hard. But yeah, I. My problem with Zack Schneider, I've stated this before, is that he doesn't understand characters at all. He doesn't understand how to do characters that he's created, and he doesn't know how to do characters that are provided to him. His previous adaptations have been slightly okay on the character front. I mean, 300 was not exactly a character drama. I don't know that any of the characters really had proper arcs, but they weren't terrible. Hey, that one guy had an arc. He started with two eyes, then ended with one eye. Yeah. That's not uh, an arc. That's dismemberment. Watchmen and the arrow that arcs, went into his but- eye had an arc. I walked right into that one. So, so did, did he. he. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, I'm mad at you both. Thank you, everybody. I'll be Watch here all week. Cora, you should be better than this. Dead man. Dead the, man. The two films that he had that had proper arcs would be Watchmen and to a lesser extent, I feel, Dawn of the Dead. But in both cases, that was clearly due to the influence of either the source material or the writer. When it comes to his other works, you can see that this is an individual that does not understand characters. Man of Steel did not have a single character arc in it. I, I really like gone over and thought, you know, okay, who well, the do- the dog had a character arc. I mean, he changed species halfway through the movie. <laughs> okay. I mean, Kevin Costner probably had an arc after that tornado threw him. What did the dog become? He, no, he changed into a different breed of dog. I just okay. breeds, not species. Okay. Sorry. Breeds. Yeah, he started out as a dog, then he came out as a fucking iguana. It was weird. Yeah, and no, dead man. I'm going to counter you this time. Just because he got flung through the air does not be- mean that Kevin Costner had an arc. <laughs> well, no, his well his his arc was don't save people and let everybody else die, and then the arc was don't save me and let me die. Okay, that's more of a straight line. Yeah, like I've really put some thought into it, and I cannot come up with anyone that I feel had a proper arc in man of steel batman v superman at least has two arcs they're not well handled but it has two character arcs there neither of them belong to superman which is why he remains the worst part of this franchise and as long as jesse eisenberg exists i can't in good conscience agree with that he's the most boring part definitely but not the worst i i I can't hate Jesse Eisenberg the way you do because while yes, he is bears no resemblance whatsoever to his comic book counterpart. He is a terrible twist on the character and I'm fine with changing characters. If you want to do something radically different with Lex Luthor, fine. Just make sure you do it well. But he is 
ridiculous to the point of unintentional hilarity. And in a movie that dour, he is a shining light of what the fuck. Like, every time he's up on the screen shoving a cherry Jolly Rancher into some poor person's face, I'm like, oh, thank God you are here, whatever the fuck you are. That's, okay, yeah, that, that's that's really weird, because I do not see him as any kind of ray of hope. I see him as a fucking singularity of just terrible. It's... Like, 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 like the rest of the movie is... Here's like, the thing, without him, the movie would be a slow, plodding mess. And it would still have its hilarious points, but it wouldn't have the energy to maintain at least an amusingly bad quality. But whenever he shows up, he re-energizes it a little bit because in the middle of this slow motion train wreck, a Boeing 747 just crashes into uh, to the ground at four times speed. And it's like, okay, thank you. I needed that to liven up the rest of this train wreck. So, you know, those diagrams that they show where it's like that grid that is supposed to show how like space and time warps due to gravity. Jesse Eisenberg sure. is the black hole of that. Like, yes, the like, yes, the rest of the movie is just this fucking dark wireframe bullshit that doesn't fucking matter at all. But. You get to that oh, and point again, I will say this. He suffers from the extended cut. You get He's given the, more time to be uh, ponderous. His weird philosophical leanings are still in the theatrical cut, but they're re- limited to like, okay, try and sum up your entire out like view on humanity in like five syllables. And it's like, oh, that painting should be upside down. Uh, okay, that, okay, devils come from the sky, whatever. But in the extended cut, he will not fucking shut up about God or his father and crap like that. Just, Lex, just because your father never touched you doesn't mean he doesn't love you. Actually, it was more he touched him too much. I know you aren't going for it, but the way you're phrasing this. Yeah. They imply that his father beat him, not sexually assaulted him, but let's face it. um, I suspect Zack Schneider's just saving that for the sequel. Goyer just has that saved in a word document that he's just viciously masturbating to it every night. You know what my, the part I hated most about uh, Lenny Luther's character arc? I mean, he didn't the have haircut. One. The haircut. Yeah, that's I a, that's his kind arc. of liked the fact that Lex had hair because it like it clearly stated to me this is a different Luther. And then they're like, "Hey, hey, hey, hey! We're referencing it. We're referencing it. Look, look, look! We shaved his head at the end, even though that's not how Le- why Lex was bald in any of the iterations." Oh, I laughed in the theater during that because it's like, "Wow, you do Just not understand how characters work." Because the only two character arcs belong to Batman, whose character arc is really stupid because it ends with the most infamous part of that movie. No, like, and like, so like. In terms of like the in terms of like the beginning and end points of that arc, it's fine. It's just in the middle of it, he had a fucking albatross. Well, the end point was still Martha, so I'm not gonna say the end. Well, point no, was no, it's so like 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 beginning of it is I hate Superman. End point is I don't hate Superman. Ah, uh, okay. Like that's a fine arc for Batman. 
Yeah. But it's just in the middle, it's just in the middle of that, or like right as it's right getting toward the end, he's about to stick the landing, and then all of a sudden, like a fucking flock of seagulls smack him in the face and he lands on his ass. Yeah. And then I like there, flock of seagulls. And then Wonder Woman has a character arc, but it's told in reverse. <laughs> which is weird. Like there is a character arc there. In that she references towards the very end of the movie that, you know, a hundred years ago, I left the world of man to essentially let it destroy itself. And we see earlier in the movie when confronted with what is going on in Metropolis and Doomsday, she decides not to distance herself from it, but confront it. So she makes the big character like pivotal choice. And then we learn the motivations and like details behind it. So it's the character arc is kind of provided to us in a ass backwards fashion. It's almost like David S. Goyer doesn't know how to write a fucking movie. Oh, and keep in mind, a lot of people will say, well, why do you blame Zack Schneider for this if he didn't write it? Well, he came up with the story, had to sign off on the script. And this is these are problems that are consistent throughout his filmography. So, yeah, as much as I feel that Goyer bears responsibility as well, I put the brunt of the blame on Schneider's shoulders. For me, it's an even spread between the two of them. They both get steamrolled. Like, don't get me wrong. If it was a different director, I don't think it would be a good movie with Goyer writing. Oh, no. Fuck no. That's not even fair. Goyer has worked on good films, and more talented people have kept him in check before. You know, Batman Beyond would be an example. Uh, Not Batman Beyond. I didn't. um, Batman Begins. My mouth went the wrong direction with that. Batman Begins is an example of a uh, film where Goyer was involved in the production, but it still turned out well. Maybe it would have been better without him. It's hard to say. You could point to the Dark Knight as an acknowledgement, but it's a different story. Different elements could have influenced that to become a better film. So I'm I'm not. I'm I tend to put the brunt of the blame on Schneider's shoulders because I've seen that talented people can still good good quality work even when Goyer's uh, involved. But Schneider, uh, Jesus. That, that's not a good end result. When I watch a film, <laughs> I want to be entertained. <laughs> that's it. You don't, you don't have to do, you don't have to be profound. You don't have to make me think. You don't have to make me feel. You just have to make me enjoy it. It's why I don't like things that are just mean. Because they don't entertain me. They make me feel bad. And that's the opposite of being entertained. Because I don't want to feel bad. I want to feel happy. Feel like I could enjoy myself. BVS doesn't even make me feel. I'm, I'm, I, and I don't feel anything. After watching it, I'm like, okay, I'm going to move on with my life and go watch something else. BVS fails to even make me unhappy that it exists. Because I just don't care. Because it's just a continuation of the previous problems of the DC Cinematic Universe. Mm-hmm. And that's, a re- that's really depressing. And, yeah, I mean, I would love to feel anything about this movie. 
Like, again, I didn't go into it blind because I didn't want to make the same mistake that I did with Man of Steel. Uh, I wanted to know what I was getting into and be prepared for it. And because of that, I was able to sit back and just laugh my ass off as Batman flies out of the well on a cloud of bats into the light. The back and forth between you and and Birdie that at that time. No, not that time, at a later point. Uh oh, right, when Superman meets Ghost Dad on the mountain. Uh. <laughs> okay, I was and, wrong. It does make me feel rage. I'm not mostly because that <laughs> bastard's still in this franchise. I'm now no, just a, son, let me die, even though you're indestructible and could have easily gone for the fucking dog. I'm now just Did imagining you hear what Superman said? Superman was never real. He was the dress, just the dream of a father from Kansas. I'm now imagining somehow just he gets to that mountain and it is just my son. How's it going? You want to, you want some jello pudding pops? You that I, I do. I, can't, I don't have a Cosby as it turns out, but just actual ghost dad just hanging up on that fucking mountain. Uh, okay. I like me some pudding. No, I, I can't do Cosby either. Yeah. we. I knew I couldn't. I don't know why I tried. I thought I had a Cosby. Uh, uh, I thought I had fair, a decent Cosby. Turns out I don't. Uh, I'm going to have to say that scene does infuriate me, but for a different reason. If you're going to have ghost Kevin Cosner coming to talk with his son, you better be out in the fucking fields on a uh, baseball diamond when you do it. Fuck, the fields would have made sense because he's a fucking is farmer. That a field of Dreams reference? Yes, it is. And the field would have made even more sense because fucking Jonathan Kent's a goddamn farmer. I know. And he built it and they came. Fucking just swinging a miss on every front goyer, you fucking idiot. Uh, nope. Pile of rocks and talking about how I ruined another family's livelihood. But yeah, I, I'm certain I've mentioned this before, but when that when we were watching it in theaters, uh, Bertie had gone to the bathroom and came back during that scene, and as he sat down, I leaned over and, and calmly informed him. I think this is another dream sequence. Which which he calmly stated, no kidding! Yeah. If that was a better joke, he would have gotten up and left. Just come sit down. I think it's a dream sequence. Just gets up and leaves again. (laughs) (laughs) Now, unfortunately, the extended cut ruins that by revealing it's not a dream sequence. If I didn't have to record this, I would get up and leave. Because <laughs> <laughs> they have seen him walking up to the mountain. We've spent the last really 20 minutes to. talking We're, about fucking PVS. Let's move on, people. Like, yes. We've spent, the, we've spent far too long talking about this. In if you want to hear us talk about it more, watch the Media Whores Review. No, that's all I made myself suffer through this week. Okay, um, then. While waiting for the Media Whores Review, also check out our commentary track. You know, the thing on the website that you guys are currently on. Yep. Yeah, you can listen to Dead Man as the other two slowly torture him uh, while watching this film. Dude, I tortured myself. I decided to do that. Yeah. I could did. have said no. I could have said we're doing something else. I'm trying to remember what Jimmy's response to learning about that was because Bertie does like to. Res- oh, yeah. 
I think the exa- I, I'm I could be paraphrasing, but I think the exact phrasing from Jimmy was, "Dude, don't let his first time be prison rape." Which actually works on layers when you think about some of Zack Schneider's previous statements. Yeah, going into that movie, I just fucking walked in there with a bar of soap, slammed it on the ground, <laughs> and just waited. <laughs> What, were you going to sock bath them? No, the the implication is that instead of accidentally dropping the soap and being raped, I intentionally dropped the soap and waited to be raped. Well, then it's not rape, it's more an invitation. And if you're really offering, I mean... It becomes a gray area, but anyway. Blurred lines, if you will. Moving on. You want me to go next? Yes. Okay. Well, I only watched two movies, and we talked about one of them, so I'll start off with movies this time. So, I watched, with Caveman, Justice League Dark. Oh, yeah! <laughs> <laughs> I forgot, because I was so mad at the other things. Stuff. <laughs> I was so mad at the other things that I forgot that I watched that. Well, that's a decent palate cleanser. Yeah. The very good palate cleanser. It is the best presentation of John Constantine so far. Like, Hell, it's a damn good presentation of Batman because he's not the be-all, end-all problem solver. Yeah. I fucking hate it when they do that. I mean, he's competent and he rolls with the punches, but yeah, no. He's a bit no, out of his depth when dealing characters. with fucking magic. Yeah. But the like one problem I have with it is simply that John Constantine throws around magic a bit too much, but that's largely just the influence of the new 52 and in all honesty it doesn't actually bug me that much the one because- problem i have with it is um zatanna's costume yeah <laughs> she looks half dressed for most of the movie yeah they pulled that for well, the new 52 the movie. who am i kidding it's all of the movie mm-hmm. my problem is that batman doesn't believe in magic because like so so in one of the early trailers he is like in one of the early trailers of the movie he says hey we need to find John Constantine when this is happening then it get, then it gets changed to are you fucking people are you people actually retarded there's no such thing as magic and he's saying that to Wonder Woman a magic person Who then goes and magic. finds yeah then goes and finds Zatanna a person he has a long standing relationship with who is a magic person I didn't take it as a harsh rebuke against magic but more just a we don't tend to see it being this uh prevalent like i i i don't know it was still awkward but i didn't feel that it was that out of place in the movie it was weird to me that's a whole scene of like hey spend more time on the streets people then you'll know that then you'll know that fucking magic isn't like this. Then hey Zatanna, magic person who just pulled a guy out of his hat from the fucking crowd. Help me find a magic man. That's not the trick she did. Oh no, sorry, that was a different trick from when she was introduced into the Justice League Unlimited series. Yeah. I got my Zatanna introductions mixed up. Better be more careful in the future. Yeah, some of the casting in the movie was surprising. Like, I 
Destiny played Doctor Destiny played a decent enough role in the film, but if I was going to get Alfred Molina to voice a character, I think I'd have them have a few more lines. Yeah, maybe a couple more. Uh, I will also say that it, it wasn't bad, but it was odd to see Enrico uh, Colantoni voice Felix Faust because just knowing it was him made it even more hilarious because <laughs> it's like why are you here that is Carl Elias <laughs> <laughs> that squeaky voice inept <laughs> magician yeah having the fucking... father of Veronica Mars yeah having one of the <laughs> I think one of these smarter on television gangsters for like the, for like that kind of show be the guy who is too shitty to sell his own soul. <laughs> yeah, details like that were pretty funny. Uh But yeah, no, it was I thought it was a very solid entry in like the DC, you know, animated film universe. Yeah. I really enjoyed it and I definitely hold it up as the best presentation of John Constantine because I've always liked the idea of Matt Ryan as the character, but yeah, that TV show. Well, yeah, it's, it was, it was just kind of the, this, this movie allowed him to be able to be himself because everything else is, he is a television show character. So he needs, he's the protagonist of a TV show on fucking regular network television. If this shit was on like fucking Cinemax or HBO or whatever, they could have him be Constantine. Or Constantine. It's not even that. It really isn't even that. It was the setup and implementation. First of all, John Constantine was tortured and dour in that show. He wasn't nearly humorous or snarky enough to feel like he was at home there. And second of all, they decided to stick him in a goddamn house that didn't move with him. You know, (laughs) I mean, yeah, he's got the house of mysteries in this, but at least it fucking travels with him so he's not rooted in a single place like sorry cw should have learned some uh, some lessons from supernatural because yeah that show fucking learned lessons from hellblazer (laughs) in case you haven't seen the design for fucking castiel yeah so yeah that was that was my problems with that show it didn't it didn't approach its material properly. It was a, it was simultaneously too serious and silly. Like it was being very serious about silly things. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it just, it didn't approach it properly. I really enjoyed this version. Okay. Yeah. I have to give full props to this Constantine, but I also have to give full props to the show for referencing shit that I have no idea what they're talking about. Such as, like, I know a lot of random shit about the DC universe because DC is where I hang my hat. I did not know that Constantine's house became a person. Uh, it th- that's a weird thing because Black Orchid, yeah, new- yeah, Black Orchid is not actually a representation of the House of Mystery. Black Orchid is an entirely separate entity. Isn't? I was trying to remember whether that was a thing that they had done in New 52 or if that was unique to this. It's, it's, uh, it's unique to this film. In New 52, uh, Black Orchid is 
connected to the green and the red. Okay. She is she is a character who is fairly who is tied to Swamp Thing. Uh and she is she is not part of the House of Mystery. She is just a separate entity. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, the, I'm not too familiar with Black Orchid, but I was aware that traditionally she's not really... She's either not tied to magic or is not heavily tied to magic. That varies. Mm-hmm. But... Yeah. But she did have one of my favorite exchanges with Batman in that movie. Yeah, it was a butler. Yeah. <laughs> it's real good. <laughs> Fucking one of the one of the better Jason O'Mara as Batman performances. Yeah. Yeah, that seems like a good point to move on. Speaking of Jason O'Mara, Agents of Shield. Yes, that fuck. I it's a little amazing to me that I was not really looking forward to the show's return after it wrapped up the Ghost Rider arc. It's been really solid. Yeah, yeah, it really has. Like it just went on break again, but it does feel earned. I'm not mad at it for taking a break now because it's promised me that when it comes back, it's bringing back Ward. So I'm okay if it decides to go and take a rest for a little while before bringing him back. Also, they're in the Matrix. Yes. With Hydra Shield. Which allows them to do some really interesting Elseworld ideas. Like, what if Phil Coulson never became a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent? Well, Hydra would have taken over. Yeah, and May's in charge of it. (laughs) Yeah. You know, my favorite scene with Hydra still has to be from the Winter Soldier, where that skeevy little pissant leans over and whispers, Hail Hydra. Oh, you're talking about, um, oh, God damn it. He, uh, Gary Shandling? Yeah, I just got his name correct yesterday for a Jeopardy question. <laughs> Rest in peace. Oh, uh, how much did you win? I don't re- fucking remember. It's a joke. Yeah. God. That was, 200, that was $200 for dead celebrities? Uh, I think it was because it was uh, like a sitcom-based category. Because he, you know... Uh, you had the HBO program in the nineties or early two thousands. When was that? I'll look it up. You yeah. can you talk about yeah. shield. <laughs> yeah. I'm really interested in the ideas that they're doing here because characters that I didn't even think I would be that interested in, like the superior. Okay. Cool enough idea. No, they went some interesting routes with him. I'm curious if he has a comic book counterpart that we haven't been keyed into yet, but yeah, he's handling his decapitation. Okay. Uh, the Larry Sanders Uh, show. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Featured Gary Shandling as a late night host. Uh, and his producer, I think was rip torn. Uh, 
I'll but yeah. Uh, so yeah, agents has gone in some fascinating directions. They've, even if they're not using Ghost Rider anymore, they haven't tried to overly back off of their special effects budget. It's like, okay, yeah, they're definitely feeling the hurt from that first half of the season. Yeah. But they're still putting enough uh, money so that when Sky decides to rip the flesh off of an LMD, it <laughs> looks fucking awesome. Yeah, that shot was fucking incredible. <laughs> also, yes, Rip Torn was his producer, and his sidekick was Jeffrey Tambor. Oh, I forgot that detail. But yeah, Agents is... Uh, has going been strong. really good. They, yeah, they're do- using elements of what I feared they would do when they first went into the LMD arc, but it's in a far more interesting fashion. Like it, this feels like a logical progression. Whereas when I first saw the ads for Agents of Shield LMD, I'm like, okay, they are forcing a fucking rehash of Age of Ultron. That was not interesting to me. I remember when we started talking about it, like I, my, my worry was that it was going to be a fucking like Battlestar Galactica thing of just like everyone's a Cylon. Mm. You're an LMD. And so far, like they have, they have introduced start. They've, they've introduced like starts of those storylines where I thought, Oh, it's going to last for like five episodes. It lasts for about five minutes. Yeah. They handle it well and they don't let it overstay. It's welcome. Yeah. Like I remember, I remember the, um, like like the, like when um it was Fitz and Simmons they went into like one of the storage they went like one of like the mechanic areas and the thing went off and they were both freaking out like oh my god you're an LMD no you're an LMD and then and that, that scene, culminates in the best fucking showdown oh yeah it it runs that they, that's calm knife flip yeah it is all. Go. They are doing. They are doing all of their like fucking fake out. You're an LMD. You're an LMD thing. They're doing that incredibly efficiently. Yeah. And I had like, yeah. It's just handling all of the ideas very well. I'm quite pleased with the show. Yeah. Uh, I also got caught up on Adventure Time. Uh, Jesus. Uh, so the Islands uh, miniseries was quite good. And it had some good emotional moments. I will acknowledge that there's an interesting comparison here between the Stakes miniseries that they had last season and the Islands miniseries from this season. Because is better told. It has a better flow from one episode to the next, and in some ways, even its emotional elements are slightly better implemented, but I like stakes more because Marceline. And it's one of those things where even if it wasn't done as well, the fact that they're drawing upon Marceline, who is easily my favorite character from the show, means that I view it more positively. Because the just the little moments, the moments like Marceline having a dream uh, a, w- after she's been poisoned and 
having a dream of her in her old age, essentially pretty much implied to be approaching death in the arms of bubblegum is a fucking effective moment. And oddly enough, one of my favorite moments of violence is from the first episode when Marceline and bubblegum show up to see them off because they act like an old married couple. And I am not cut up in adventure time. So a lot of this is just kind of nonsense to me. Yeah. Well, it's like in the case of islands, it's not a big deal. Uh, Finn, Susan strong, Jake and Bimo are going off to try and visit an Island where they believe there might be humans. And, they're borrowing Bubblegum's boat, so as she puts it, of course I was coming to see you off. You're borrowing my, you're taking my boat. And Marceline, who's standing there uh, with the umbrella, turns to her, and we also care about him, you idiot. <laughs> Sorry, Marcy's up past her bedtime. <laughs> and just that little back, <laughs> their little odd back and forth. One of my favorite moments from the miniseries. <laughs> but I, I did really enjoy it. It served to characterize, uh, characterize Martin a bit more because it's really interesting. He apparently was not always such an asshole. You're an like, asshole. Like Martin is a terrible fucking father, but it's clear that he once cared for both Finn and Minerva. And I'm curious as to what shifted in his psychology. He was always a con man. He was always a bit of a trickster who'd lie to people. But he clearly had an emotional attachment. And I'm curious about why that changed. Because, yeah, he's a fucking terrible father. Yeah. Like, he... What was it like season six that was pretty much just about parental abandonment as its primary theme? Yeah, probably. I really need to catch up on this show. But yeah, I'm still enjoying it quite a bit. I am curious as they move, like again, I often view Adventure Time through the lens of what are they doing with Marcy and what are they doing with Simon? And I'm curious as they move forward, if they're going to become more overt with their references, because they rather clearly had a female, female romantic dynamic with two characters in the Island arc that I looked at. I was like, okay, yeah, that's a, that's a thing. So now that Cartoon Network is becoming a little more comfortable with that and, as certain producers might start trying to put a middle finger to certain administrations, I'm curious as to whether or not they're going to start becoming more direct with their uh, references to relationships. And I'm, I'm, I'd be eager to see where they can go with that. Also, Steven Universe, moving on to other happy, shiny things. Yeah, you know the best is watched. I have not watched Rocknaldo yet. I've heard that it is just fucking spectacular. Um, yeah, I mean, who doesn't love Ronaldo? He is everyone's favorite character. 
Like I don't. Ronaldo's the one who's the paranoid conspiracy nut, right? Yes. I. Well, I'm the only one who likes him. Apparently, I I was well. I I hated his early episodes. There were two appearances by him that I thought were decent. The documentary episode, crashing skies, rising tides, or whatever it was. Uh, I enjoyed him there because, in a sense, he was in the background with everybody in the foreground reacting to his insanity. And I was able to find humor and enjoyment in that along with the crappy editing of his work. Uh, I, I found that to be pretty hilarious and his appearance in uh, restaurant wars was a lot of fun because he suffered and that's always fun. So, yeah, uh, but I've, I haven't, I know Birdie didn't like Rocknaldo. I decided not even to watch it. I will watch it. I just haven't watched it yet. But that means that the last episode I watched was Storm in the Room. (laughs) 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 So, yeah. I'm glad that they got to it. It's just they front loaded it a bit too much, so we didn't. So I didn't really get enough of what I came to that episode for. I yeah, I get that. Like it was incredibly vi- was, it was incredibly vital that we see Stephen get his macaroni destroyed by rain. Otherwise, yeah, otherwise, it, you know, him going into that room and confronting his mother with all the horrible things he's learned about her, they just wouldn't have the same punch to it. Well, I understand why that was there. It was to set up the ending. So, I I get it, but I will acknowledge, yeah, they paced a portion of that episode a bit briskly. But, still effective. Yeah, I've been waiting for this, just... Steven needed to vent, otherwise he was going to actually lose his fucking mind. Yeah. Um, we got to meet Blue Diamond. We'd already... We met Blue Diamond before Storm in the Room. I'm not... I'm talking about the episodes prior to Storm in the Room. Oh, okay. The ones that we haven't talked about. Okay, yeah, I talked about them with a uh, birdie. So I. Yeah, I know, but I I'm know. still annoyed about that. <laughs> yeah, this is so. Sorry, my head, my head was scheduling in a different space. stuff. <laughs> so we met Blue Diamond. Angry ex lovers. Yeah, I. The I'm still not sold on Yellow Diamond, but I really enjoyed their approach with Blue Diamond. Yeah. But yeah, I'm not entirely certain what else to say about Steven Universe so far. Like, blue. Uh, one thing is, Yellow Diamond did hint at what the purpose of the Lapis Lazuli is, which is to terraform, and that that's interesting. A Lapis Lazuli? Yeah, Lapis. Yeah, uh, huh. yeah they, they control water, so just, hey... 
fuck your shit, water's gone. I suppose that makes sense. I mean, it, I mean, like what, what, with what we saw of what they were planning to do to Earth, and presumably what they've done to other planets, having that water there might be a bit of a hassle. And give like they've clearly been setting up that there is more to her abilities because Jasper talked about how she was the real monster and details like that. So to hear that she was that Lapis Lazuli's are constructed for the purpose of terraforming. I'm curious to see if, if they're going to build upon that some more. That, that has some interesting implications. I really just want to see more of Lapis and Peridot. Yeah, that's true. Like I want, because they're awesome. Yeah. Uh I want that to, I want that to go away. I want that to go in a way that is conducive to bullshit. I have in my head. I'm not one for shipping, but when they clearly are setting up a relationship, I I don't know if that qualifies. Do you guys remember sort when, of the, do you guys remember when the it, internet got pissed off because the storyboard artist drew the two of them in the same in the same like room together? No. No. That, that happened. A storyboard artist like drew Laps of Paradise just kind of hanging out doing whatever, and then everybody got pissed off because it was somebody working on the show because according to the internet it was somebody who works in the show trying to influence the trying to influence the relationship going because everybody apparently wants fucking Peridot and Amethyst together. Oh, uh, okay. Well, fuck them. I'm perfectly content I, with Peridot. And I'm not usually yeah, one to say this, but like everyone out there who thinks that you are wrong. <laughs> fuck you. Like again, I, I don't feel like applying my own, if Amethyst and Peridot were to get together, it would be because Amethyst likes to fuck with Peridot. Mm. And that would probably be the extent of that relationship. But yeah. also I get more of a sibling vibe when those two are hanging out. Oh yeah. I kind yeah. of I kinda of have it I kinda of like have a hard time imagining Amethyst in anything beyond a familial relationship with somebody. Yeah. I yeah. At least, at least at this point. Yeah, at this point, like she, she would have to go through a very intensive arc, or we'd have to be introduced to some other character that complements her in a way that hasn't really been established before. Yeah, Uh, but like my approach to shipping and stuff is that I really don't tend to focus on it unless I feel the material is actually directing me my attention towards a burgeoning relationship and then i'll become invested but i don't feel like i've really shipped a couple it's sort of the marcy and bogum dynamic it wasn't until it was brought to my attention that hey back in season three they kind of hinted at this that i started noticing and start whenever a new episode came out i would start picking up on hints that i might have overlooked prior that's why I'm invested in that is because, okay, I learned that, hey, this was actually their intention. Yeah, I have so, been kind of more and more over the last few years, I have been finding myself just occasionally slipping into a shipping mindset. Mm. But for the most part, it's I've been able to kind we're of... All beca- it's because we're all becoming slowly slow, and slowly more feminine. Yeah. Yeah, like I like I have been a I I've I've managed to like keep it kind of out of my enjoyment of a show 
like 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 when it is um like when it's something that they are setting up, I get more invested into it. Uh, if it is just a little one-off dumb thing that I find kind of funny, like 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 the, like the one time in my head, like the one time where that has kind of like popped up as a really dumb thing that I kind of felt disgusted by myself with was that one episode of Star Wars Rebels where I was like, you know, Callus and Zeb. <laughs> I'm just going to get a little bit further away from you. I'm just going to go sit over here now. You know the episode I'm talking about. <laughs> Never knew the pipe could be used like that. Uh. <laughs> All right, I'm going to get a little further away from you. I'm just going to sit over here. I am actually getting up and moving seats every time I'm saying this. But no, like the one, the one I time, am doing a sight gag for people who can't see me. The one time I have actually... Like the, the only the only time where I've actually like I, th- I think the things I think the thing actually started with fucking Legend of Korra, mm. where I jokingly said that it would make more sense if Korra ended up with Asami at the start of at the start of the last season, and then that season ended. <laughs> at which point I was like, "Holy fuck! What the fuck happened?" You know the right. worst part? What? I can totally see a Callus Zeb relationship now. Yeah. Right. Yeah, they're both really hairy. Oh, uh, hell yeah, dude. Just a couple bears going at it. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I, I'm not saying that I w- would be against it or anything like that, but I've never put any thought towards it, and I retain no investment until I feel like the creators are actually setting it up at which point i'll analyze it and if i feel that works sure i'll become invested in that idea yeah it, but, it wasn't like, it, it was just it was like a half second thing that just kind of buried its way <laughs> into my head of just the end of that episode it's gonna be good together and i was just like oh, fuck, god damn it i was like five seconds away from start i was like if, if i had thought about it for a couple more seconds i would have fucking started a tumblr account <sighs> but, but yeah star wars rebels <laughs> 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 that's I'm I'm glad to see I'm I'm glad to see them developing uh how should I put it I'm glad to see Thrawn starting to show off his understanding and capabilities. It was a little odd to see him fight, but just because that's something that's never happened before in material. So this is arguably the first time Thrawn has been directly involved in combat, really. I look forward but to the next it, time you're over so I can see what you're talking about. Yeah. I forgot but this show was, was on the air. So I'm the only one that saw the most recent episode. I stopped watching after that. I, I got that episode where it was the uh, like that fucking kids on the ship. Fuck. And then I just kind of forgot that it was still airing. Okay, well, you've missed three of the best episodes of the series. I'll get caught up. So they did some fascinating stuff with Sabine's character, including uh, actually K-Man's further than you are. Yep. Yeah, because you saw one of the three episodes I'm talking about, The Trials of the Darksaber. Yeah. Where we, yeah, learn about 
why Sabine has been such a closed off character that doesn't reveal too much about herself. Well, it's about goddamn and, time. Yeah, and they fucking made the wait worth it. Yeah, I, I did call it, though. Like, why she was the way she was. Yeah. Like, I predicted but, it. But that gradual reveal as she loses it. Is, yeah, that was great. Yeah. That was great. But, yeah. Since then, they wrapped up her arc to some extent. She... At least for the time being, appears to be retired as a primary member of the cast. Because she has left the crew. Uh... It felt natural to the show. I suspect that it won't be the last we see of her in the show, but I could be wrong. Uh, nah, and they, she'll be coming with a conquering army. Don't worry. And they've refocused their attention on the Fulcrum storyline. As Callus tries to manage his role as a double agent. Spoilers! He was revealed as a double agent back towards the beginning of the season. Yeah, I'm, I joking. Saw I'm joking. I'm okay, joking. Yeah. I yeah. did a stupid voice. Okay. If I dismiss everything you say in a stupid voice, I won't be able to know when you're ever being serious. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> Burn. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> No, it was for the point of a joke, but even then, I was like, that's a mean one. Uh, hey, I went with the joke. It's okay. I, I know you did, but so I that's still a, felt the need to So apologize. that's how the cavemen invented fire. Just sick burns. <laughs> <laughs> but well, I came back yeah, at the right time. Minor, uh, there is a minor spoiler. Yeah, no, Thrawn knows who Fulcrum is. Thrawn oh, like is war. straight up. What? Oh my god, you mean the genius guy knows the incredibly obvious? Well, it, it was clear that he was suspecting uh, Callus before, and Callus is still serving as a double agent. But in order to confirm his suspicions, uh, Thrawn brought on uh, Admiral Yalaran uh, to begin investigating personnel. And Ezra got himself captured under the guise of a bounty hunter to try and extract uh, Callus. And it's implied that, like, one of the things they did while they were aboard Thrawn's ship was they snuck into his office and altered his uh, star map of possible rebel bases to exclude the one that is actually the rebel base and replace it with another one. Oh, that's, implica- that's dumb. That's no, no, that's, that's a bad idea. Yeah. They were working with, they were working with limited time because in order to get out of the room, they actually had, uh, Callus actually had to reprogram the, uh, security droids that uh, Thrawn uses for sparring in order to try and ha- in order to have them attack Thrawn with their uh, deactivation code disabled. So, yeah, we actually got to see Thrawn fucking fight. And the thing is, 
Yeah, no, he is just as calm every step of the way, even as he's fighting two towering fucking robots that are yeah. trying to smash his skull in. Next Star Wars game, I'm totally playing a chess and playing him like I'm going to play him pretending to be like Thrawn, except in private where he's constantly shitting himself just to annoy you. Yeah, okay, that's actually going to be a thing. What if? What if that wasn't the case? What if, like, you know, they turn off the, the like, they root the, act- the activation codes, and the robots just start coming after him, and he just starts screaming. <laughs> just, just like he's calling the entire time, and then as soon as he's in actual danger, he's like, "Oh God, no!" I would have been so annoyed. Just like, the, like, I'm, like the, I would have been fine without him being combat, particularly combat capable, even if it wouldn't really make much sense because he is a somebody. military officer. Somebody who uses combat droids to train himself knows how to fight. Yeah, no, we see him fighting them. But I'm just imagining. <laughs> I'm just imagining now, like like that, that, that happens, and then all of a sudden the voice actor switches to Maurice Lamarche. <laughs> but no, like the moment he is blasted apart, both of the droids, he just picks up his calm. And starts calmly, de- calmly delivering orders. It's like doesn't even stop to catch his breath. He's just right back to the calm, collected individual. And it's like, yeah, no, that I like that. <laughs> Does not skip a beat. <sighs> yeah, I mean, he is a. Le- I mean, he is a fucking lector. <laughs> yeah, I suppose so. <laughs> The Mickelson's boys play it close to the vest. <laughs> but yeah, no, he's straight up stated no. Callus is clearly, uh, despite all of the efforts they've made to cover their tracks, Callus is the one that is clearly Fulcrum. But in truth, Agent uh, Agent Fulcrum may prove to be more useful to the Empire than uh, Agent Callus ever was. And it's like, yeah, no, I'm happy with this. It's going to be really interesting when they reveal that uh, that Thrawn is actually a follower of Dormammu. Hmm. <laughs> so what? He just has every role that his brother has ever had. No, it's all part. Of, it's all part of the greater Disney cinematic universe. And then Rapunzel shows up. And then we get a Kingdom Hearts reference. Yeah, pretty much. Like it's going to be fucking. It's going to be Rapunzel with the frying pan, and then the fucking Buster Sword comes breaking through the dimensional barriers. And speaking of shows where that kind of crap feels like it would be at home, Legion. I watched the first episode of Legion. As did I. Jesus. This show is weird. I was told not to, not to bother with my time. So. Who? By whom? Uh. Didn't you guys tell me that it was like, okay, maybe I'm misremembering things. You probably are. We would have told you that it was fucking trippy. Yeah, it is That's weird as hell. Not that I shouldn't waste my time that it was fucking trippy. That's what it was. Oh, yeah. This shit is 60s as hell. Like, uh... So imagine the Matrix had sex with Doctor Strange. And you kind of get the overall aesthetic of this TV show. 
Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. I'm certain I'll watch more episodes of it at some point. I just needed a long break before I try that. Yeah. This is something that could very easily overwhelm you. Yep. Also, weirdest thing. So I... So I've, been, so I've been looking around at stuff. Um, so, the, so the devil with the yellow eyes mm-hmm. introduced in the first thing. From a design aesthetic, it's to me, it's fairly clear that it's Mojo. Oh, I didn't think of that. Yeah, and everywhere I'm seeing it, it's like, oh no, it's the Shadow King. Naturally, but just in mm. like design aesthetic, he is very much Mojo to me, and not Shadow King at all. Like it seems, it seems the only way they are tying him to the Shadow King is because of the yellow eyes. Uh, I X Men is a big sort of blank space in my comics knowledge, so I have little to no familiarity with Mojo and absolutely no familiarity with the Shadow King. So. I yeah I don't have much familiarity with the Shadow King either. Uh, he is a he is something from before my time with the X Men. Mm. But the Shadow King, from what I understand, is this psychic entity who is just all who's like incredibly powerful. Uh, from what I from what I'm reading, he has a bald, obese appearance in the comics. It switches a lot. Okay. Sometimes he's bald and obese. Other times he is a bizarre black demon creature. Okay. Other times he's just smoke. Well, he is an entity of pure psychic energy, apparently. Yeah. And I was like, when it, when it, like when he shows up as as the bald obese guy, he is he is what if the kingpin was more fat than muscle and wore a fez, mm. and not so much, not so much a bizarre potato creature. Okay. The potato quality is more along the lines of Mojo. Yeah, but I will say the Shadow King makes more sense. Yeah. Just like, in terms Mojo of being a psychic would be thing. a weird route for an already weird series to go. Like, I... It's like, oh... Yeah, the yellow eye demon. Clearly, it's the kingpin. It's like, um, tons of questions. <laughs> yeah, just for anybody, for anybody who doesn't know, uh, Mojo is uh, being from another dimension where he is the producer of reality television. Yeah, that's right. God, that is weird. So, in fairness, I do think he would actually kind of work for this show. He would, but given that we're dealing with Legion, a character focused around telepathy makes more sense. Given how much of a fucking minefield his consciousness is. Yeah. But to be fair, that would make good television. Anyway. Yeah, I... This is a bizarre one. Yeah. Like, 
Legion. I watched the entire first episode, and the main thing that stands out to me is the thought of, oh, man, they killed off Phil Coulson's brother-in-law from The New Adventures of Old Christine in the first episode. (laughs) Beyond that, the entirety of my thoughts were, what the fuck? Yeah. As a brother-in-law, they were divorced in The New Adventures of Old Christine, but still, you know, former brother-in-law. Uh, the fact that you know that new adventures of old Christine was funny. Yeah. They were both main characters. So I, I never watched the show. Yeah. Uh, until you said the name, I didn't even know that was a show. Yeah, really? it was, uh, Julia Louise Dreyfus's uh, show in between Seinfeld and veep. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, I know. Like, when, when, as soon as you okay. said the as soon as you said the name, like something fucking clicked. I was like, "Oh, right, that." Okay, but I did yeah, not know Clark Craig was, was in it. Yeah, no, he was her ex husband, uh, and he was married to quote unquote new Christine because the younger woman that he ends up marrying is also named Christine, and it's largely Juliet Louise Dreyfus dealing with insecure insecurities and drinking, but it's hilarious because it's Juliet Louise Dreyfus. Uh. Yeah, I uh, heard that it was good. I just you know, never bothered watching it. Yeah. And the guy that is the uh, interviewer slash uh, agent questioning Legion is the guy that played her brother. Hamish Linklater. That's his actor name. Okay. That is a fucking name. But yeah, I. So unless he proves to have a surprising degree of survivability, uh, I'm guessing he's not going to show up after the first episode. Yeah. Because I'm pretty certain he was a charred corpse. Yeah. It's a weird show. And it... It's a thing that I should not be surprised by, but that I am a little bit uh, ticked off about in that it is... With with more with like the prevalence of comic book stuff becoming more and more so in like the world of TV and stuff, it shouldn't surprise me what it kind of does. How many people just do not give a fuck about the comics? Just like there's like every single person who gets involved in these comic book properties is like joins because of the person making the show, not because of anything involving the stuff, the source material, and in some cases actively dislike the source material. Mm. Like it was the case with um, Luke Cage, and and like in this, like ninety percent of the cast only joined because of Noah Hawley, and didn't even know uh, that fucking Legion was a person or a character or a concept. Um, this one's more justifiable, at least. Yeah, a bit. Like, yeah. okay, yeah, Legion is not an A-list character. <laughs> yeah, but the fact that nobody, like, the fact that it is just so much so that. 
like Legion Legion is not a big thing in the comics now, but there is he is an important figure. Like kind of kind of inside and outside. Like he's the son of Charles Xavier. He's created by fucking Chris Claremont. I didn't even know that much. Again, X-Men is a blank space in my knowledge, but yeah, I did not know he was the son of Charles Xavier. I would also argue against him being, I, I knew that I read that book. I've read several books. I've read a lot of legions books. I kind of disagree with the concept of him being that pivotal a character. Oh no, no, not, not pivotal. I'm not saying like he is. There, there was a point in time where he was somewhat important. He has very much dropped off to the point where he's not really a thing anymore. I would honestly say that he was never truly important. He was a character. He was there. He was important but... to me, goddammit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, see, that's what we needed to get down to. <laughs> but no, like, it is, it's a similar kind of thing, like reading about like Iron Fist. Like, like the people being cast in Iron Fist, a lot of them were like, a lot of them were, like, we didn't even, like, didn't, like, a lot of them didn't even read the fucking source material. Mm-hmm. Until much, Honestly, much later. I should, I should be mad about that, but, um, I'm willing to take anything that'll get a good actor playing a character I like. Cause fuck, like, I, I get I mean, where you're coming from, and but it only annoys me when I feel that there is a disrespect for the character in the implementation. I had a very slight bit of th- that issue with Luke Cage because I did feel that sometimes it didn't use it, it didn't implement itself well enough, but. Aside from that, I don't actually, as long as people, I'm okay with some of the people being involved, not having a real appreciation for the characters they're working with, at least initially, Uh or going in relatively blind, as long as they can gain an appreciation and work with what they've been given. So... I don't even care if they end up gaining an appreciation or not. I just care that they don't just spit in the face of the characters, which has happened. It bugs me when they don't have an appreciation. Hearing Gary Oldman kind of shit on the Batman films kind of annoyed me because it's like, yeah. Hearing Gary Oldman shit on most of his career. Yeah, fair enough. Like that, that kind of stuff annoys me a little bit, but it's, in, in truth, it's not as important as the end result being good. Uh-huh, I get uh, that. And in the case of Legion, yeah, I I didn't know anything about this fucking character. So, yeah, I'm not going to be criticizing others for going in with relatively little knowledge. I, I get that. Like, I, I was a bit, I, I was kind of reaching there, but it's it's still, like, it's part of the, it's part of the problem for me of just... Yes, these comic books are getting like more and more properties and stuff made about them. It's just nobody gives a fuck about where they come from. It's just, it's just, hey, we got this new thing. Who's involved? Eh, some fucking people, whatever. Like they don't give a shit that it, they don't give a shit that it actually is based on anything. It's just is the thing. No, it's obviously not the thing because they're not going to try another Fantastic Four movie. Well, yet. Yeah. 
they're gonna they're gonna Pretty wait until, never. they're gonna wait until the rights are about. Fantastic Four is the worst team in comic books. Oh no, they're, they're fucking terrible. But Fox is gonna and wait that's because half of its cast are horrific people. Fox is gonna wait for their rights to. Ab- Fox is gonna wait until the rights are about to run out. Slap together a movie with Roger Corman's fucking cousin or whatever. Do what that German company did. We're gonna make this movie for a million dollars, and it will only be released illegally. And then we will hold the rights until our fucking entire board of directors dies. Which part Marvel will get it and go, we don't fucking want this. Yeah, no, this is our worst team. Why would we want to make a movie about them? Well, first of all, I, I take issue with the statement, there are no bad characters, only bad writers, but there is a quality to the Fantastic Four that, if used properly, is appealing. They do act less as a team and more as a family, ideally. But there, yeah, there is they a tend to fuck and it's up. The thing in Sue Storm, everybody else sucks. Well, the problem is Reed Richards is supposed to be the father figure. Johnny Storm's supposed to be the son, but they often screw up the positive qualities of those characters in favor of making them either a a jackass who creates all of the worst threats to humanity or b a jackass who's an egomaniac i understand your distaste for them but if done properly they serve to fill out a family-based team so johnny storm marvel can johnny storm can have his moments reed richards is evil I'm not even a Fantastic Four fan. I'm just arguing that they could be used properly and that, again, Marvel would want them because Doctor Doom. I am very much not a Fantastic Four fan. They want Doctor Doom. That's who they want. I'm I'm very much not a Fantastic Four fan, but I have found myself enjoying moments with 75% of the characters of the Fantastic Four. Reed Richards, the, other thing the, I the, would fact, add the fact is, that people believe that Reed Richards is a good guy in any universe is fucking astonishing to me. My favorite Reed Richards is was the one they where definitely, he supervillain. They would definitely want the property because the majority of their cosmic stuff tends to end up tying in to the Fantastic Four. So it complicates rights when they don't have access to that stuff. Yeah. But yeah. So uh, fuck Reed Richards. That, if they could make a Fantastic Two movie, that would be spectacular. Please. Terrific Two. True. True. Terrific Two. And then they bring in the Future Foundation where Sue Storm runs it. Ben Grimm fucking works as their bus driver or whatever. And the other two are just dead. The, oh, anni- the annihilation wave ate them. I, I'm okay with Johnny from time to time, but he's just a massive impetuous douchebag. Um, the one I really, really hate, I think we all know, is, is Dragon Man. Fucking Richards. Yeah, Reed Richards is the worst. Like I, I can't always bring this up when talking about how awful Reed Richards is, but there was a storyline back in the day where Doctor Doom faked a journal of Reed Richards's that made it seem like he knew that the shields would malfunction on the ship and went through with it anyway just to see what would happen. 
And no one disbelieved it. No, they were all like, yeah, totally. We would totally believe you would do this. That, that sounds like something Reed would do. <laughs> yeah, fuck. Even the, most, like, even the most recent Fantastic Four series before Reed Richards became God was, was a storyline where he found out he might be dying from his powers and did not tell his family any of this and just decided to take them all into space. Because that's Reed Richards. Yeah, and now that man the is in charge of all of creation. Scum. Ah, why? Why are they still writing him? For fuck's sake. No, here's the thing. They stopped writing him, but they stopped writing him at a point where he was God. And so now the thing is hanging out with the Guardians of the Galaxy. Susan Storm lives outside of reality, and Johnny is Pork and the Queen of the Inhumans. Well, that's not a problem. Wait. That last one confuses me. Uh, Black Bolt disappeared. Okay. And so Johnny Storm ended up joining the Inhumans, where he is now, when I last checked at least, in a relationship with Medusa. Well, the argument that would erupt if the ex-husband shows up again would be interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm just imagining... Yeah, no, I'm, like, of the characters you don't want to piss off in the Marvel Universe, Black Bolt is kind of close to the top. Yeah. I, kn- I know... I know I, the- you don't want to be in a shouting match with him. <laughs> I'm actually just imagining him like angrily signing at him, just like just like doing really aggressive ASL. Okay, that's the only thing in my head that I'm thinking of right now. Like I know I know the thing you're actually going with is like is like oh yeah fucking he just go fuck you and then just vaporize them. Yeah, we had to lose Kate, man. I yeah. would have kept that on the down low, but I feel like it would have come up eventually. Yeah, eventually. <laughs> anyway, anything else about watching Cora? Uh, watch some more of Young Justice. I'm still working my way through season two. I just occasionally will watch a episode. I'm in the middle of the whole uh, Reach story arc in which I think they just figured out Blue Beetle betrayed them. Uh Uh-huh. It's interesting. I've kind of took a step back from it for a little bit, but I'll probably finish up the season relatively soon. Aside from that, I think that's pretty much everything. Talking about watching happy shows and getting to the end of Young Justice. That'll be interesting, I suspect. Oh, God, I can't wait for season three. Yeah. It's a shame we lost uh, Miguel Ferrer, but... Because uh, I hear that Vandal Savage will, based on season two, likely be prominent in season three. Yeah. But... Hopefully they'll find a uh, suitable replacement who can live up to his performance. They probably will. They like DC. Uh, 
they have a decent track record with finding great voice actors. Yeah, but again, Miguel Ferrer. Yeah. Like I I will be watching the uh what is it, Judas Contract? Yep. Just because he voices Deathstroke. Like that is all I need. It's like, okay, yeah, I really want to watch that because it's him voicing Deathstroke. Uh-huh. Because, yeah, I was a big Miguel Ferrer fan. Yeah, he was real good and stuff. Like Twin Peaks. Yeah. Like, I'm very, I was glad to hear that he had at least filmed uh, scenes for the first episode of its return. Yeah. So. <sighs> what have you been watching? Okay. So. Watch Legion. Um, talk about that. Uh, I got caught up and finished the second season of Star vs. the Forces of Evil. That got some plot. Like, just a bit of it. So. Toffee. It's very important, as it turns out. And Corey just had to step away for a second, so you just got me, fuckers. So yeah, uh, throughout this season, we've been getting... We've been learning more about the Butterfly family and the ruling family of Muni. And kind of two important things have popped up in that. Uh, One of them being that Toffee is... Tied to the history of this family in some way. He is a he is an entity that has been around for a while and has real importance to Star's mom. And he's kind of the plot that I was talking about. Uh they the, the season has largely been a kind of you know, largely episodic kind of thing, like the first season. But about a third or like a little more than a little more than a third of it, not quite half, has been about has been about Ludo and him learning to use his wand and stuff and kind of learning what the wand is a bit. Because it turns out the wand is actually Toffee. Uh, he's been existing. He's been like kind of having his consciousness live in ha- in the half of the star that's embedded in it, and has been slowly taking over Ludo. It's been talking to him, giving him advice and stuff, uh, talking, telling him that like Glostrick has been lying to him, and then eventually just straight up taking over his body and like absorbing the wand into Ludo's hand because the wand is actually his arm. And so with him coming back, uh, he is that's going to be the big thing going forward. Into season three, at least I imagine. And they've also been kind of building up the like starting to pay off the idea that was introduced in like that thing with the blood moon or whatever. This, This has been the thing since basically the beginning of the series that everybody's been waiting for. And it's starting to actually become a thing. Uh, he, with that, uh, the birthday clown episode, because, 
yeah, of course, this is a fucking birthday clown episode. Uh, they they've been kind of they've been kind of like doing more and more of the fact that Star is into Marco. They had a couple episodes about that this season, and the penultimate episode kind of it brought that to the forefront, kind of affected their relationship a bit, and then right as things are getting back to normal, Toffee goes back, and Star has to fucking leave the dimension. That'd be cool. One thing that uh, really did bug me that I kind of knew they weren't going to do, but that I really wish they would have done. There's an episode in this where Marco goes to another dimension and is there for 16 years. He then comes back and he then comes back. It turns out like uh, time worked differently in that dimension. And so he has been. Well, he's all, well, he's been in that. Well, he's been there for sixteen years in that in that universe's like that dimension's time. In the main dimension, it has been about an hour and a half or something. <laughs> so he then gets, he then goes back to like the regular dimension, and those sixteen years is kind of erased. He is just brought back to where he was when he left, and it's shown to clearly affect him. Like, he had a life. He had this whole relationship that he built up with the lady who makes the Dimension Scissors. And him coming back and trying to just, like, go back to his old life where he left it. It had an effect on him. There was something wrong. Like, he was very clearly affected by what happened in that, like, last 30 seconds of the episode. Then going forward, it's like nothing has changed. Which is real unfortunate. I know that, like with the with the show being what it is, they can't really do that. But if they had a bit more balls, if they just had a bit more, if the show had more of a story to it, if the show had like consequence and effects for what happens in previous episodes, more so than it does now. That would be a plot point. That would be a real character moment for him that would affect him going forward. But they didn't have that. It was just a one-off bit that amounted to nothing. Unfortunately. But I still do like this show. It is not the best. It doesn't have... It it has like bits and pieces of like better shows out there that doesn't quite cohese together in the right way, but it is still managing to have enough of good good like it has the we has like the kind of weird off the wallness of Adventure Time with elements of the serialized storytelling of Steven Universe, but not enough of either of them to be on equal footing with either of those shows. But it has enough of those elements in order to actually make it a, an enjoyable show that has enough humor and enough progression in it that I'm able to get something out of watching it. So I am looking forward to season three when that eventually comes, because it is coming. They confirmed it, uh, I believe last year. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, then I also watched season finale of Ninja Turtles. Uh, I really hope Cork comes back soon because I need something to talk with this about, talk with this about but 
yeah, this show got dark all of a sudden and like real heavy in a way that I shouldn't be surprised with it being a Nickelodeon show because Nick has this odd habit of having their shows. Okay, I don't know if I, I don't know if I call it an odd habit because it's happened in three shows now, including Ninja Turtles, and the other two were the fucking Avatar series. Where it just gets real heavy real quick. And this happened in Ninja Turtles before, like at the at the beginning of their bit in space. Splinter gets straight murdered. And the universe, and the world gets destroyed. They then fix that by like going back in time. But this time around, Splinter's just dead. He has like an on-screen death. And not like a, oh, he's actually, oh, he could, uh, he could, he could survive this. No, he is dead. Shredder runs him through with his fucking arm blades and throws him off a 30-story building where he then hits the ground. If this were a darker show, there wouldn't even be a body really left. Yeah, Splinter got murdered. Then they had a funeral for him. And then they killed the Shredder. I really like Ninja Turtles, and I find it hard to kind of wrap my head around the fact that in the first season of this show, they had multiple villains who were just walking fart jokes. So yeah, uh, we're going to take a quick break, wait for Cora to come back before we get into the other stuff we talked about. Yeah, we'll be right back. Back, everybody. Sorry about that. Yeah, I kind of left Dead Man to do a one man podcast for a little while because I got a phone call. Yeah, so talked about Star Wars Force of Evil, talked about TMNT and their straight murder or splinter. It was, it was surprising how much they just, it was, it was almost like an avatar scene. But with a rat man and a giant mutant covered in blaze and pores and like pus filled things or whatever. Uh, I'm not clear which we're, what we're talking about necessarily, but Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yes, I got that, but Splinter is dead. W- the okay, Shredder it can't be a comic because of the podcast. So it's either a television show or a movie. The Nickelodeon television show Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which began airing in 2012. Okay. That started out with two characters that were essentially fart jokes made manifest. Just had a scene where Splinter was on screen, stabbed through the stomach, and thrown off a 30-story building. Where his dead body was then carried off, and next episode he had a funeral. Huh. Yeah. If it wasn't for the art style... This would be kind of in the similar vein of stuff you see in like Avatar or Korra where people get their heads fucking blown off or have the air pulled out of their lungs. Is So is the art style bad? Uh, no, the art style is incredibly cartoony. Okay. So it is 
So it is cartoon characters. Like not not even like like serious cartoon characters, like joke like fun jokey cartoon characters having an incredibly emotional moment over the death of their father. Yeah, it sounds bizarre. Yeah. So then uh Then again with that franchise, that's kind of my yeah, mantra. It's, yeah, it's kind of the TMNT is a like, fucking yeah, weird franchise. That series about a bunch of humanoid turtles named after Renaissance artists trained by a rat man. It, oddly enough, much to my surprise, had some odd moments from what I hear. Yeah. It's a testament to the fact that I've grown up in a world where that franchise is an institution. <laughs> that I don't really bat an eye when I he- hear someone say, yeah, no, it got a bit weird. And it takes me a minute to realize, oh, wow, that is an interesting statement. It's also a bit weird considering the fact that immediately after uh, Splinter's funeral, they go and fight Bebop and Rocksteady in their super dojo where Bebop says, I'm Audi 5000. Referencing Andre the Black Nerd. Does that originate with uh, Black Nerd? It does not, but it is kind of widely. Because I know that, like, Audi Five Thousand is uh, a is the thing that he says at the end of all his videos. He talks about Turt Ninja Turtles a lot, so everybody kind of like is of the uh, idea that is referencing Andre. Okay, because I haven't watched his videos, but I do know that Aaron Hansen uses that line a lot. Yeah, Audi Five Thousand was uh was from a previous thing i'm not entirely sure what but it is uh on but it is andre's sign-off thing okay like out of all the videos like hey please subscribe love like a play cuz 95,000 chain chomp yomp and then blacks out the camera with his hand okay i started watching a lot of black nerd recently I've started watching a bit of Game Grumps again recently because they returned to Resident Evil 7 and watching Aaron suffer is the reason that franchise works. <laughs> like I was rewatching, I went and I say rewatching, I was watching their old videos on the game Heart of Darkness and that is straight up like almost 20 episodes of Aaron fucking losing his mind and it is spectacular. <laughs> I can give you recommendations if you're not a big Game Grumps fan, but. I was the start, and I kind of got back into it when Dan came on, but I fell off again recently. Uh, did you ever watch the Battle Kid uh, episodes? I did not. I watched the oh, I watched the highlight God. reel of like him kind of like doing his improv thing, going off the cuff while fighting the giant plant. Oh, I don't even know how you would make a highlight reel. That would just be everything from episode three of that. It was basically, it was, the, so it was bits of Balkid in a highlight reel of like the entirety of Game Grumps. Oh, okay. Yeah, you can kind of skip the first two episodes. They're not bad. They're actually pretty decent, but the third one is fucking spectacular. It's to the point where there was a special uh, Mario, uh, Mario Maker level that was designed to honor episode three of battle kid (laughs) 
Last thing I watched was when they had a uh, Finn Wolfhard from Stranger Things playing uh, Crash Team Racing. Yeah, I didn't watch that episode. That kid is funny. Hmm, I should check it out. I don't tend to watch Guest Grumps that often. I didn't watch the one with Rob Schneider either. Nor did I. Because it's Rob fucking Schneider. Yeah, but they mentioned him a lot and they were like, yeah, no, he was a cool guy. It was good to hang out with him and, you know. Yeah, I did watch the one with um, Grant Kirkhope. The composer. Oh. He did all the music for a bunch of rare games like uh, Banjo-Kazooie and DK64, I think. Oh, okay. Well, let's not talk about YouTube series. Let's talk about fucking movies yeah. and shit. <laughs> so I rewatched the two How to Train Your Dragon movies. So are they good? Yes, they are. Very good. Cool. And it sucks I have to wait until 2019 for How to Train Your Dragon 3. Oh, they're having a third one? Yep. That'd be fun. Then in a similar yeah. vein to those two movies, I saw John Wick 2. See, it's an interesting dichotomy because I have nothing to add as far as thoughts pertaining to How to Train Your Dragon. It's uh, along with uh, Kung Fu Panda and a bunch of other stuff it's just like yeah i have no thoughts john wick 2 i actually have thoughts on and i'm eager to watch that eventually but so that, that that's an interesting interesting that you consider that to be in the same vein i was making a joke okay well i thought maybe you knew that you'd have to wait until 2019 for john wick part three or something i mean probably but so, yeah, I went to the theater for the first time in months and saw John Wick 2. And it was really good. I do not think it was as good as the first one, but not by much. My understanding and the way that a number of critics put it was there was no way it could have been as good as the first one because the first one thrived on the almost... Uh, on the almost sense of surprise that came from the movie being that strongly constructed. Well, there was that, when, but also the fact that it was, I don't think it was structured as well. Mm. Like the, like the opening of this is essentially a five minute action scene of John wick trying to get his car back. And the entirety of it felt like they were just trying to reestablish the fact that John wick is really good. Like it is, uh, it is Peter Stormare. It's Peter Stormare, uh, who is playing the brother of the head mafia guy from the first movie. That fits shockingly well. Who is there to say John Wick is a fucking murder machine and he is going to kill us all because we because we have his car? He then doesn't murder him and just leaves. It's their equivalent of saying, "Last time on Dragon Ball Z, John Wick shot a bunch of people in the face." Kinda, actually. It was just this big fucking action scene that existed to reestablish the fact that John Wick is like a human gun. Mm. 
And then my brain went off in an interesting direction because it just occurred to me that I don't know that I've ever seen an episode of Dragon Ball Z, but I know how their recap line goes. Yeah, and it is especially <laughs> kind of shitty because it doesn't have an impact on the rest of the movie. Like, mm. like he gets his car, then he gives his car to John Leguizamo, and the car never shows up again. And the rest of the movie is about something else entirely. Well, it does also serve to establish the time frame and that it's directly after the events of the first movie. Except at the end of the first movie, the dog he had was a puppy, and now when he has the dog, it's like a year old. Mm. So yeah, the actual plot of the movie is with John Wick having murdered the entirety of the Russian mafia in New York. Uh, he is he is considered by many to just now be back in it. And so I think his name is um Santoni. I'm going to I'm going to look up this guy's name because it is a very it's a name that I do not remember. Which is not a which is not like a diss on his character or anything. It's just I have a hard time with names. Santonio D'Antonio. Mm. Oh, Santino D'Antonio. Uh, he shows up and calls in a favor that he has. He calls in a marker, which is another part of this world where you can give some where you, like you can um, essentially owe somebody a favor, and so they have this little disc where you like prick your thumb and put a bloody thumbprint on one half of this thing inside it. And then at any point that person can call in a favor that you have to do, or you will be killed. Mm. And so Santino, he calls it in that he, he calls in the marker and says that he wants him to kill his sister so that he can get the seat at the high table, which is this criminal organization that involved that is just, it's the it's the syndicate. It is this vast criminal empire that is different factions that have like kind of formed together to form one organization where they each have their own individual boroughs of the planet. And yeah, so he goes. So John goes and finishes the job. At which point Santino tries to kill him using his using his assassin Ruby Rose. Who never speaks. It's all sign language. And there's also Common, who was the bodyguard of the person that John killed. And then it is him trying to hunt down this guy who put a $7 million bounty on his head. So assassins are constantly trying to go after him. He is fighting all the other assassins while trying to get to this guy to murder him. And yeah, so like structurally, it is a it, it isn't as well put together as that first movie, just with like that opening scene and a couple of the editing bits. But story wise, it follows a sa- it follows a similar kind of path to the first one, but it is different enough and on a much bigger scale. It's it's the first time in a while that I've seen such a well deserved and realized sequel, hmm. because the most things. The first movie is just, hey, we have the story, and then we just like don't answer or just like fail to resolve half the plot lines so that we have to have a sequel. With the first John Wick, it is a fully realized world. There is this whole other yeah. fucking thing going on with this whole civilization, uh, this whole like fucking criminal underground world. But 
the story itself is this very neatly, tightly contained thing that is a complete story. That doesn't have a sequel hook to it. It is just, this is the beginning, this is the middle, this is the end, we're done, peace. And then the movie did well enough that they then got a sequel. And they did the right thing with it by building on the world. This just expands on the organization of like the Continental and the High Table. And just the, high, the fact that the High Table is a thing. It adds more to just the overall John Wick world. And it still keeps the action going. Like the action is still really good. Common is a really good foil to John. Uh, Ruby Rose is an interesting presence in the movie. It's odd to me that I haven't seen anything with her in it. And don't get me wrong, she's been in some garbage recently. But like I haven't watched enough of Orange is the New Black to get to her character. But just based on the little bit that I've seen of her, she seems like an interesting presence in general. Yeah. And so having her as just this silent killer the entire time is interesting. Uh, I They managed to do some fucking amazing shots in this goddamn movie. like Especially like this ending action sequence that is in a modern art installment that, made, that, would, that if I were in it, it would make me want to kill myself more than being at a regular art installment. Because it's all mirrors. <laughs> And so they do a lot of really awesome shit with the mirrors and just this, I remember this one so like going into the room it is doors that open up and they are mirrors and so there's this one tracking shot of John like going to leave the room and as the doors open it's all shot in the reflections and it just looks so fucking cool and they had to do some digital trickery because they the cameras never show up once or any of the crew ever show up once in any of the mirrors. So I'm just, so I'm just assuming that the entire crew is in the mirrors the entire time. And then they just digitally edited them out. Cause if they didn't, then whoever was fucking DP on the movie is a goddamn wizard. <laughs> Man, the movie's uh, really good. Uh, it, in the background, I was checking to see, uh, because I thought of Ian McShane, who is in both this movie and its predecessor. Yeah. I was, I had the thought of, all right, when does American God start airing? And I pulled up info on it and got a glimpse of some of the cast aside from Ian McShane. Uh-huh. Jesus. Yeah. It's like, actually even McSh- there are names on here that I generally didn't think I wanted to see in anything. I'm really curious what they're going to do with Dane Cook. Yeah, so uh, Ian McShane actually they kind of expand his role. They they give him yeah. they re- they realize him as more of an important figure. Yeah, I kind of assumed based on the trailers that that would be the case. Yeah, and also they I'm curious since this since the change in location does like Lance Reddick show up again any or uh Which one's Lance Reddick? He ran the hotel. Oh yeah, yeah, he does. Okay, because it starts out because it starts out in New York. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's it all starts out in New York, and then he goes to Vienna, or, or like uh, yeah, Italy. And I, I knew that it started out in New York. I just didn't know if they'd have him show up at any point. Oh yeah, or... they they do a really good job of establishing the Continental in this world. Okay, because the Continental is more than just a hotel. Yeah. 
and the ending of it is a the ending of it is a very quick thing and in another movie it would feel incredibly unsatisfying mm. but they've done such a good job setting up the rules of this world and what the actual ending is and what the ending means that it has a lot of impact to it and the but the thing uh one thing that really bugs me that is the only thing i would straight up call bad about this movie is the is they have two different sequences in this that are that are concurrent events happening at different times Mm-hmm. Like one of them is the like one of them is a setup sequence. It is him like casing the place where he's going to go kill lady, getting the equipment and stuff, and talking to the guy who makes his suit. And they do they do an interesting thing with a suit where they have this material that is one hundred percent bulletproof. It has like no bullet penetration, but it still has the impact. So it has this so it has this weird thing of having John be able to be shot and not be hurt by it, but still having that be a interesting part of the combat and not having, mm-hmm. and and, not, and still having him like not be super overpowered. Yeah. Because, because with, with like the lining in the, in the, in his coat, there are scenes of him like having to run up on a dude while shooting him while like covering his face with his coat jacket or like, with, like with his jacket. So they doesn't get shot in the face. Mm-hmm. There's little things like that, but so they have him getting his guns. They have him getting the getting the like the the place cased, and then getting his suit made. And they're all happening at the same time in the editing, but happening at different times in the movie. But they never really established that as a thing because that never really happened in the first movie. So when that first happened, I was really confused about what was actually happening in what order. Mm-hmm. And then later, when the contracts put it on him, he deals with three different hitmen. At three different times, all edited, the, all edited to have like happen at the exact same time. I see, and I'm not. It sure. doesn't sound disorienting to me, but in, in practice, it's hard. You know, it's, it's just not. It's not disorienting. It. It's just annoying. Uh like, like the, the first time. The first time it happened, it was a little bit disorienting because, like, I, again, this wasn't a thing that happened in the first movie. So having it just all of a sudden begin happening. Which I can understand why they need to do it. It is a bigger thing, and they have to fit in more elements. So to keep the pace up, they need to have things like happen at the same time. It like the movie wouldn't. The mo- it would. I don't know if it'd be better or worse if it had him go to the gun guy, then go to the suit guy, then go to the map guy. I'm not. I'm not, I'm not sure if that would like kill the pacing of it more or. Or like actually have things, or like have, or like have it be play out as a bit more like thought out or whatever. I'm not sure how to really word it because I'm really hungry. Am I brain stopping? Am I brain is stopping functioning? That's fine. I was looking at Ruby Rose's filmography and learned that there's going to be an adaptation of Meg, which sounds like a terrible fucking idea because I don't remember that book being very good. I never even heard of that book. It's about a megalodon. Okay then. It uh, film's apparently been in development hell for twenty years now, but it's uh, in production now. So yeah, John Wick two. It is really fucking good. It is not as good as that first one, uh, just because it kind of can't be. But also, just like in practice, it 
doesn't do the things as slickly or as cleanly as it did in the first movie. Mm-hmm. But they managed to build the world up in a really interesting way. They have they're able to establish a lot more things and establish the relationship in the world of things that were introduced in the first movie. And they set it up for a they set it up for a third part that feels earned and real. More so than a lot of other part threes of movies, especially nowadays. Like I, I haven't like I don't think it's been confirmed there's gonna be a John Wick three. Which is in this day and age kind of astonishing. <laughs> where things get where things get where like part fives get confirmed before the first movie is released. So I'm happy that John Wick as a franchise exists. <laughs> Because it yeah, is it is the first instance of a deserved franchise in the past like twenty years. Yeah, that's what I've been watching. Then on to news. So speaking of that thing I just said, Disney XD has confirmed that there is going to be a second season. Of their DuckTales reboot before the DuckTales reboot has launched. Woohoo. <laughs> it's the only reference I know to make with that franchise. <laughs> and yeah, so they got, um, on top of this, they also released a first look video just kind of showing how everything looks in action, how the characters are. Uh, it turns out that Donald Duck and Scrooge McDuck are professional adventurers. Which is why they do things. I don't know. It's 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 a fucking weird show. We'll see. We'll see how it is when it comes out. But it's weird to me that they are doing a reboot of Ducktales. Moving on. So Dana Geek is reporting that according to a poster at Toy Fair. Uh, 13 more episodes um, comprising season three of Voltron Legendary Defenders will be coming to Netflix this September. It's not going to be happening. At some point, I'll finish season one. (laughs) (laughs) Season two was good. It was about on par with season one. So moving on, Patrick Stewart is retired from the role of Professor Professor Xavier. He said in a statement, "Quote: A week ago, Friday night in Berlin, the three of us sat watching the movie. Uh, that is, sitting down with James Mangold and Hugh Jackman." Going back to the quote, and I was so moved by it, much more moved than I had been the first time seeing it. Maybe it was the company of those two guys, but the movie ended, and this is an admission, but at one point Hugh reached out and he took he took my hand in those last few minutes, and I saw him go, mimes wiping a tear from his eye, like this. And then I realized I had just done the same thing. Then the movie ended, and, they were going, and we were going to be taken up on stage, but not until the credits were over. So we had some time to sit there, and as I sat there... I realize that there will never be a better, more perfect, a more sensitive, emotional, and beautiful way of saying au revoir to Charles Xavier than this movie. 
So I told Hugh that same evening, I'm done, too. It's all over. <laughs> yeah, cool. Yeah. That's interesting that, uh, that the movie kind of marks the ending of two of the more defining careers of the X-Men franchise. Yeah, I look forward to seeing that movie, though. I have heard nothing but amazing things. Yeah, my feelings on it continue to be a little conflicted because I've heard great things. I have no reason to doubt that it's quite good. The second trailer was very good, and it made me forget the first trailer. So <laughs> that that was good. Uh, but at the same time, you know, whenever Fox succeeds in turning in a good property, there is a little bit of a annoying quality in the back of my head where I go, yeah, but this means that Marvel doesn't get to have this anytime soon. Yeah. They're not going to share their toys. Yeah, that's that's kind of funny because like, uh, like Hugh Jackman did say he would come back to the role if he got to be an Avenger. <laughs> but... And, of course, there's the fact that as much as I like X-23 as a character, yeah, they definitely clearly were twisting elements of the character because they wanted to pull a Last of Us dynamic. Yeah. So, like, I every time it, a trailer, every, every time one of those trailers was posted, like, half the comments were, man, this Last of Us movie looks really good. Yeah. I was there when someone had that reaction upon seeing the trailer for the first time. <laughs> Like she just turns is like so they're making it the last of us. <laughs> Which hey, if you're gonna make if you're gonna make a movie, Last of Us is a decent thing to rip off. Yeah. Anywho, moving right along. ZW has announced that Vixen, their animated series, will be being released on official like physical media, uh digital HD, DVD, Blu-ray, whatever. Uh, and it will be combining the two seasons into a movie, basically. Okay. So it's called Vixen the Movie, and it combines the first two seasons of the digital series into a single uniform story with 15 minutes of new content. It will also feature uh, two Vixen-focused episodes of Justice League Unlimited, handpicked by Bruce Tim. Okay. That'll be happening. I've been meaning to watch that thing. I watched like the very beginning of it. I remember that I think her f- adopted father is played by janitor from scrubs. Huh? Which was weird. Not because he did a bad job or anything, but in the back of my head, I'm like that voice, that voice, that voice, that voice. And once I realized, I was like, okay, okay. Now I can focus on the actual thing I'm watching. Well, it's good to see. Well, it's good to hear that, you know, Dr. Jan Itor is still out there doing things. Yeah. Yeah. So that'll be coming to Blu-ray, DVD, whatever on May 23rd. May <laughs> To be fair, he has the show The Middle. Eh. I I don't... I'm not a fan of The Middle, but I don't have anything against it. It's like, okay, what if you wanted to do Malcolm in The Middle, but you had Janitor and Star from Star vs. the Forces of Evil? Okay, fair enough. Okay, then. 
Moving on. Warner Brothers, still believing that their DC Cinematic Universe is a good thing, <laughs> has put into production a uh, live see, it's action, hilarious. Has put into production a live action Nightwing movie. Yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, so uh, Chris McKay, who directed Lego Batman movie, kind of ironically, is in negotiations to direct the new movie with Bill Dubuque. Sorry if I pronounced the name wrong. Uh, writing the script, uh, he worked on The Accountant. Okay. Never seen that, so take from that what you will. And yeah, it doesn't sound like a great indication of quality, but it's not garbage. Uh, no, the, no, the, the fact that it is a live-action movie from Warner Brothers about DC characters means it's going to be garbage. Oh, yeah. But when you hear, oh, that director, you think, okay, maybe someone could actually, you know, force some quality on this situation. Yeah. But that kind of thought process hasn't gotten us anywhere great in the past, so we'll see. So anyway, speaking about the DC Cinematic Universe... Uh, Warner Brothers has closed a deal with Matt Reeve to direct the solo Batman movie. This comes kind of on the heels of the news that Ben Affleck might went out of the role really bad. And I believe I also read a story that said that talks with Matt Reeves had broken down. Mm. As Matt Reeves said in a statement, I have loved the Batman story since I was a child. He's such an iconic and compelling character and one that resonates with me deeply. I'm incredibly honored and excited to be working with Warner Brothers to bring an epic and emotional new take of the Cape Crusader back. <laughs> At which point the statement kind of breaks down because Warner Brothers dick has gone too far down his mouth. I God damn it. I want this to die. Nothing against anybody involved in this except the producers. I just kind of want this all to fucking fall apart so we'll stop talking about it. Yeah, I, I get that. Like, I... I don't know that I would say I'm apathetic as much as I am ambivalent to the whole situation. You know, if Wonder Woman turns out to be good, that's fine. I'll enjoy it. I'll be very pleased about that for a variety of reasons. Oh, yeah, Wonder Woman. But at the same... I want one of them to be good so bad. I want it to be so good. Yeah, but at the same time, I'm not going to invest myself in it being good. I'm going to just sit back and avoid any sense of eagerness to see a good movie because I don't want to set myself up for disappointment really it's one of those things where becoming invested in a dc movie just doesn't seem like a good idea no it does not so um uh, like i'll calmly wait and see if it turns out to be good fine i'll be happy uh but yeah i'm i'm not about to get excited over it uh-huh so moving on to something that kind of is exciting Warner Brothers has announced they'll be releasing the entire first season of Static Shock on DVD. I 
like I said, kind of exciting because so far <laughs> they've only released six episodes of that show. Yeah. Yeah. So Birdie was complaining about that recently. It's a static shock. Uh, for those who don't know, it was a show back in the two thousands, uh, based on the, based on the milestone character static. Uh, milestone was a comic book publishing arm of DC. I believe that was all about, uh, bringing, you know, black characters to the forefront and black creators to the forefront. There is something odd about the fact that that had to be a separate branch. Yeah, it was a thing was started by Dwayne uh, McDuffie, Dennis Cohen, Derek Dingle, and Michael Davis. Like, I mean, don't get me wrong. I can kind of see some reasons why that might be useful. You can have a separate uh, administrative group. You can... Like, I'm not saying it's a terrible idea, but something about just the optics of, hey, we set up an entirely separate division. For the black stories, it's like okay. Well, it, it wasn't that. Just it was feels. Awkward. Well, it wasn't that. It was like it was like black comic creators uh, thought that you know the minor like minority superheroes were underrepresented, so they founded Milestone, and then it was brought into DC. Okay, DC wasn't like, hey, black people, make your own comics. Okay. It was black. It was black creators. That's what it's at, what yeah. my in my mind it clicked as, and I was like, okay. Yeah, it was black creators who wanted to make more black characters. That was then that then made black that then made more black characters, and it was published by DC. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't want it to be as. I didn't want it to be like, hey, I didn't want to be like a second. I'm sorry if I misled anybody with my description of it. Yeah, so the first season will be coming out um, end of this month. It'll be available from Amazon or directly from Warner Brothers for twenty five bucks, and it is DVD. I just make them Blu rays, you fucking people. Jesus Christ! I. On one hand, I'm not going to be purchasing them either way, but if I was, it wouldn't be Blu ray. I, I've been, I don't know. Anyway, like I just don't have a Blu-ray player. So I have a PS4. So yeah. Okay. So anyway, final thing, kind of the biggest thing to happen in the past like week or so, uh, YouTube has announced YouTube TV. A live TV streaming package for their, for YouTube. Uh, this is a fairly big thing. Uh, it's a, yeah, so it's a new live streaming TV option along along the lines of like Sling TV or PlayStation View or Direct TV Now, and it offers a it offers a fairly comprehensive package thing. Uh, where it is a. Uh, where it's thirty five bucks, and you get access to many different networks, including ABC, CBS, Fox, NBC, CW, ESPN, something with a T, CSN, different kind of Fox, different kind of NBC, USA, FX, Freeform, Disney, E, more ESPNs. 
Okay, that it took a little while for that to start sounding like a reasonable package. Don't get me wrong; I don't have any TV packages, so uh, none of them are all that reasonable, in my opinion. But the first ones you, you listed for a little while were all just basic network for, uh, channels. I was like, yeah. that okay, yeah, Bravo, <laughs> FXX, Sci-Fi. More at more and more NBC, more Fox. Okay. National Geographic. And then also YouTube Red Original stuff. Okay. Yeah, so it will be yes, it'll have access to all those as well as some regional sports networks and new stuff as and stuff so you can get so you can get shows like Empire, Voice, all that shit, live sports. Uh a cloud DVR with no storage limits, which they'll be also offering. Uh, so you'll be able to record live TV and never run out of storage of anything. Uh, you'll be able to access uh, anything recorded to your DVR. will be able to access across all your platforms, including like other devices and your phone and stuff. Uh, each recording will be stored up for uh, for nine months. And you can go do whatever. Uh, you will be able to have um, three concurrent. You'll be able to have a, it's a it's like a six member accounts. Which you'll be able to have three concurrent. Which you'll be able to have three concurrent streams open at any given time. And yeah, so it'll be done on a month-to-month thing without any kind of commitment or anything. Any contracts? It'll be thirty-five bucks a month. This is kind of really cool. Yeah, it sounds like a decent option. Thirty-five bucks still sounds pretty expensive to me. But, but it's I'm a, I'm assuming that they are believing it's going to be like a split across multiple people thing because, like I said, it's a six. It's like a six account thing. True. So you can sign like six people up for thirty-five bucks, like six bucks a person. Hmm. That's a that's a pretty good deal there. So yeah, YouTube TV will be uh, rolling out first to, um, you know, the largest U.S. markets before expanding out into more cities across the country, and then maybe one day it'll deign to come to Canada because you know it's not like Canada is a important country. Yeah, so there's no official there's been no official launch schedule yet for an announcement. You can go to tv.youtube.com to find out more about it. Yeah, this is cool. Hmm. Anyway, that's it for news. On to new releases. So, for this week, the week of March 3rd, we have Logan. And nothing else of real importance. Unless there's a bunch of people who are super interested, who are super invested in seeing Before I Fall. Or the shack. Is Get Out still at 100%? Uh, no, no, it's it, dropped to 99. Yep, one person was like, no, fuck that. Yep. One person. Of the 155 reviews given so far, 154 of them are fresh. I actually want to find that guy's review and see. It's Armand White. Yeah. Of course it's Armand White. 
the the fucking fuck off Armand White. The title the title of this fucking review is Return of the Get Whitey movie. What Armand was it? White is an obnoxious critic. I really like, and, and to be fair, my the reason I like have a visceral hate for him is because he gave a positive review to Max pa- uh, Max Payne, and uh, has like given positive reviews to each of uh, each of Moore's films before and since and he's a contrarian critic and in the back of my head when i heard there was a single critic i was like it's gonna be armand white isn't it yeah fuck off armand white what was it exactly that the all media screening audience at the at the new movie get out was cheering for when the black protagonist killed an entire family of white folks one by one begins his review Get Out isn't simply a revenge thriller. It's a state-of-the-divided-nation movie. In this horror comedy, 26-year-old middle-class black photographer Chris Washington travels with his white girlfriend Rose to her family's idyllic exurban home and discovers a racist cult intent on siphoning black men's mental and physical energy. Guess who's coming to dinner meets Rosemary's Baby meets Meet the Fockers. Hollywood high concept gets goes low and unfulfilled. He sounds like a dick. He is, he, like, I, he's known for just giving contrarian viewpoints on films. It's, yeah, I'm looking at, I'm looking at like a bunch of his reviews and some of them do kind of match up like fresh meets fresh, but a lot of them are like, he gave a shit review to Moonlight, um, Nocturnal Animals from Afra, um, Manchester by the Sea. La La Land, Rogue One, 20th Century Women. But he didn't give a positive review to Resident Evil, the final chapter. Like I said. Yeah, and then... Next week... Basically nothing. Something called Kong Skull Island. Oh, right. That's happening. <laughs> I actively repressed that that was a movie. I don't, I don't care. Just because. Like one way or another, really. Just fuck. Fuck you, Hollywood. Like, I, I'll acknowledge I cannot care about that because I watched. Peter Jackson's King Kong movie, and I've had enough King Kong for the next seven films now because of that. For me, for me, just looking at that movie is it was the it was the straw that broke the camel's back for me of just Hollywood doesn't care. They don't give a fuck about ideas. They just give a fuck about names. Like, like, like for a while there, I for a while there, even as things have gone more and more of just people, the people in charge of making movies don't care and just want a recognizable name on it. For a while, I've been like, I've been like, yeah, yeah, that's true. But like maybe one or two. But then 
I went to see John Wick 2 and I saw the Kong trailer and I just broke. Where just now before I was like largely apathetic towards it and now I am like disgusted by it. Mm. Yeah, I'm fucking hungry and I'm about to pass out from that said hunger. So let's end it there. Okay. Thank y'all for joining us. We'll be back in two weeks. Time with episode of the Best Prods dot com movies television podcast. Armand White will hate it. Everyone hates it. <laughs> in between now and then, though, we're going to be having our regular run of news, maybe reviews, podcasts, all kinds of bullshit. But until then, I'm dead. And I'm Cora. And for Armand White, we'll see you guys next time.